Geeks. 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 Hello and welcome back to Geeks, the world's number one entertainment podcast recorded in these rooms. I'm your host, Al White, and joining me for a special episode. They're all special episodes now because we don't do regular episodes. So. <laughs> it's special every single go. time. Uh, is Andrew Morgan Smith. Hello. And Stephen, I don't even know how to say your fucking second name, man. <laughs> this is no, it, it's a file. The file. P is silent. Well, then so. why put it in there? Well, I say to your heritage. <laughs> Character. Character. That's true. It's so that that way he can break the ice anytime. I think that's actually- a good, That's a good icebreaker. The Germanic way, you do say it, and it's file, but- File. It's too that's, angry, though. Yeah, it's, it's too, too angry. It's, yeah. So. so you have Germanic heritage, is that, is that where your um, ancestors are from? Yeah, I mean, way like, you know, great, great, great grandfather kind of thing, but... So do you consider yourself German? Like, I identify with that a little bit. I mean, my, we cooked bratwurst as a kid, but also... Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you know, you're I mean, like, that's as German. far as it goes. It's by like, that logic, I'm Cajun, by the way. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I have Cajun in me too, but like, bratwurst cooked in beer, but that's about as far as that really goes <laughs> i'm in no way cajun but i you know i ate cajun food as a kid oh i i do have cajun blood i know but i'm just yeah. saying <laughs> but you <laughs> stole it so. but, but yeah. <laughs> i'm just gonna appropriate that now is what's gonna happen anyway continue i have this weird um thing with when i first came to america and i, I love I have this fascination with americans obviously not all americans big generalization about to happen but a lot of america is quite patriotic and quite proud of their country and yet almost every american i speak to likes to claim that they're from somewhere else <laughs> because they're in their ancestor of course nearly all americans are from somewhere else yeah. and they kind of like hold on to that heritage very passionately whereas in england and a lot of places in europe is like no one no one really gives a shit no one <laughs> yeah that's interesting yeah i mean it's to get that kind of melting pot thing right yeah absolutely all right so if you're new to us, hello, welcome. Please head on over to weirdgeeks.com where you can patch out to all the social medias and all of our previous podcasts and you can help and support us by rating and subscribing on the iTunes or your whatever little podcast thing you're using on your Blackberry or pager. Do people still have pages? Do doctors have pages still? I think so. I have heard that people still have pagers. Heard I in, don't know them. Law. I remember a day when I used to have to ring up my girlfriend, but you couldn't ring them up. Uh, well, I mean, you could, but we didn't have mobile phones, but you'd have pages. So you had to ring up an operator to say, here's the message I want you to pass along to my girlfriend. <laughs> Doesn't, and it was so embarrassing. Doesn't technology suck, right? Yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> I fucking hate it. <laughs> now you can just call uh, someone directly and you just miss the days of pagers is what it is, right? Exactly. I miss talking to a stranger and <laughs> saying romantic things through a conduit. Nice. Yeah, while you're on Weird Geeks, yeah, please do patch out to us. Please do support us. We do all this for free. There are no patrons or no banner ads or no promotions or any of that stuff because we're stupid and we do not like money. And also, you can listen to our Halloween episodes, which are just wrapping up every single Fridays at the moment. Okay, so what are we doing here, guys? We are, I think our last episode was about 100, where I was with Alex just talking about video games, catching up on that stuff. But 99, I was doing a Fantastic Fest review. And I met you lovely fellas at that festival and we've been trying to arrange to do one of these afterwards so we could get some insight from like a creative point of view rather than just an audience you know participation kind of point of view so just to be clear you guys andrew and steven you both worked on a film called uh, you might be the killer which is doing festival runs right now and it's also uh, it's online somewhere right now it aired on sci-fi and it's also on demand too yeah so if, so if you have like a cable provider you could log into their website and, and watch, watch it. it yeah okay 
And we'll get a bit more into that stuff later because I do want to talk distribution things and fun stuff like that. And <laughs> again, whatever you guys are comfortable to talk about. <laughs> yeah. I know it's all sticky subjects. But Stephen, you're the editor on that film. Mm-hmm. And Andrew, you were the composer on that film. Correct. Two fields that interest me greatly in film. And I've met you both at Fantastic Festival. You're both lovely people and you're very kind to me and hung out a bit. And I wanted to, yeah, like chat over some of these processes. So I was looking through you guys, the films you, you've both worked on and stuff like that. Andrew, I didn't know you worked on Jeepers Creepers 3. I did. Yeah, I scored Jeepers cool. 3. I'm a big Jeepers Creepers fan. So. Oh, really? Did you see yeah. 3? I did see 3. Okay. I did. I, did. <laughs> I, did. <laughs> I went to actually one of the Fathom events to see 3. Oh, nice. Well, that's yeah, good to know. Yeah, I own it on Blu-ray and digital, so I've supported that film in three different mediums. Oh, well, excellent. Ah. I'm glad that, to meet somebody who's that excited enough to, to invest <laughs> in it. Actually, that's part of, like, side note, why I got this job, why I got, how Brett was convinced to hire me was because Griff, it was shooting in Louisiana, and Griff, who I've worked for before, basically gave him a couple options, and he said, oh, you know, like somebody he recommended was me. And he said, oh, if you want to hear what he's done, go listen to the Jeepers 3 score. So actually right before he met with me, because they shot kind of close to where I live, he came to my house to come to studio. And as like coming to the studio, he was actually listening to, this, to the score to talk to me about it. So there's that. <laughs> so I do. I genuinely, I'm not just saying this. I genuinely like the score about it. I think we talked about it a bit on a previous podcast because, yeah, I was very excited to see Jeepers Groupers 3. I was a bit let down with the film, but there were elements I enjoyed about it. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of number two in particular. Yeah. Yeah, but no, the school's really good on it. Well, I appreciate it. Well, the whole goal was to like make sure that it didn't feel different. Like it it yeah. felt different in that there is like a slight modernization to the style, but like it had a lot of challenges that went into it because there's no once again on that movie, there's no live orchestra. So and the previous two had, had like 80 piece LA orchestras. <laughs> right. So there so the biggest ask was so we don't have any money to do this, but we don't want anyone to know we didn't do it. <laughs> so so that was like a big thing on that movie was to make sure that that you didn't lose that. It felt like yeah, felt like a trilogy in terms of yeah. Which I genuinely yeah. and I'm, I'm not just fucking cuz I wouldn't invite you on this podcast if I didn't think you were a talented man. <laughs> I appreciate I, it genuinely felt that you met that there were uh, unfortunately some of the other aspects of the film i didn't think met yeah the level of the previous film yeah i mean it was just it was it had so many issues in production and it's you know pre-production and i think a big portion of it just became like a triage of everything Mm -hmm. and then also like horror movies during the day don't really work so the movie becomes like an action thriller movie rather than a horror movie because it takes place between the first two movies so it's like it has to take place during the day spoilers well yeah (laughs) spoiler for the first for the first like five seconds of the movie yeah it's just it has to take place during the day and then the monster just isn't as creepy in the daytime and then you end up doing all this stuff to like try it it just becomes an action movie you know like that's really what it becomes it becomes an action movie so if you were going to the movie to be creeped out or something it's really not creepy yeah, yeah. Like, so, you know, I mean, I'm really proud of the score for it. Like, I'm I'm really happy with how it came out, especially like it was a crazy, crazy schedule on that movie. I guess like most of the movies I work on are just stupid schedules. But, you know, that was I'm glad to hear that you liked it because uh, because like I really worked my ass off on that. Movie. 
Not particularly. <laughs> and this is what I mean. We'll get to you, might be the killer in a minute, but particularly um, when we met and we were talking after your film, and I was saying how much I enjoyed it. Like I was shocked. To, I mean, I was wasn't shocked from you know I appreciate. I'm a genre fan, so I appreciate not many genre films get to have yeah a huge orchestra behind yeah. them. Yeah, but I was genuinely. You might be the killer. It feels like that, and Jeepers like felt the same way. Like you, you. I've worked in that field a long time, and know a lot of people who do that stuff. My ear is very good for that. I can tell when I fucking hear MIDI on stuff. Yeah. And you, honestly, like you have a real, real talent for for making something feel big and classic, which is I appreciate it. Yeah. Rare and difficult. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's a ton of work, but you know, it feels good to have it come out that way. You know, like yeah. it feels good whenever I. Uh, actually, the director for You Might Be the Killer, when Brett sat down with me, and he specifically was like, so I've been listening to the Jeepers 3 score. It sounds amazing. And I know we also don't have money to live record. So I, I've been telling myself, like, oh, well, we won't get it to sound like this. And I was like, well, but Brett, there's no live instruments on that movie. And he's like, wait, what? <laughs> and I was like, well, there's no live orchestra on that movie. It's the same problem. Like, there wasn't the money and there wasn't the time. So, actually, it's the same thing. It's the same problem again. Yeah. So, so exactly. I mean, it's nice to feel that way because, like you're saying, like on a lot of these movies, they don't have the budget for it. And even if they have the budget, you're on some crazy time crunch. So, the only way I get to hear it fully realized and make it sound right anyway is for me to actually put the work in to make it sound real. Yeah. Other than that, it's like, well, it's all intellectual and it's just, it drives me crazy. I hate whenever something sounds not right. It just drives well, me insane. In, in all honesty, I mean, you kind of annoy me a little bit because hearing it possible <laughs> goes against a lot of stuff I say. I feel about it the same way as I feel about watching, I'm a big animation fan and watching anime where they use 3D models, but you know, where they're cell shaded to look 2D because yeah. it's cheaper for them to do and quicker for them to do and it never works for me. My eye can always tell, no, that's not a hand-drawn animation and it makes me really fucking angry. <laughs> and I feel that same way with using like MIDI orchestras, you know, in place of a real orchestra. Like, well, you can't do it convincingly to so do something different, but genuinely, you do, do it very convincingly. So it's kind of annoying. <laughs> I appreciate um, it. I mean, it, it is, I mean, the thing that my argument is always like, it sounds cool, like, because you're not hearing it A-B'd against a live performance of it, it helps you. Yeah. Right. Sure. Like if I were to take the same thing orchestrated out and get it live recorded with like an L.A. or London orchestra, you would be able to tell the difference. Well, actually, it's going to be one of my questions later, but let's just jump on it now before we get to you, <laughs> Stephen. You know, you can have a little those for a second. <laughs> How does it feel with that stuff when you know, like, because that's, that's what I was going to say is when I do music stuff, even just doing string for, for background stuff in my bands, it's always been, you know, you record it. And I used to work with, you know, my guitarist who was much better at MIDI than I was. I just go, brah, 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 brah. I take it in and, you know, you pray that you've heads got <laughs> it in right. the right yeah. place yeah yeah he could use it you know more intellectually so you could get a better representation much like you do but like one that day when you take it in and people sit down and they play it with real instruments it suddenly just comes to life in this whole different way is it ever like do you have dreams one day that you could take one of these and actually just have the money just to go just to oh yeah all the time how it actually would sound <laughs> for sure well and i mean all the time but i i am at a point where like I've put so much time and effort into the into the version that I have that I know that if I if I just go to any random place, I'm not super confident it's going to come out sounding better. So like it has to be with like the top groups, you know, which is probably only like three places in the world that you'll get like a super super high end tracking of these kind of things, you know. Right. 
just because if you're not going to do it right, you might as well not do it. And if, if somebody is even a little tentative with those kind of scores, I mean, the whole thing, I mean, just Killer would be a perfect example. Or, I mean, I guess either movie works, but with Killer, like, Brett comes in and he's like, hey, so what do you think of the Predator score, huh? And it's like... Uh, <laughs> I think it's one of the best classic scores of Yeah, all time. I mean, what do you want from me, you know? Only, and it's it's that same kind of thing where it's like, you listen to this thing and it's like, there's so many different things that a live orchestra does that I incorporated to my programming, but like, it's very different whenever 80 people in a room do it than whenever your MIDI does it or whenever mm-hmm. you try to do different things. So, So for me, it was always do I fantasize about man that would sound amazing live or what I could do differently because it's live so there there are certain kinds of performances you can't really replicate in MIDI so you have to basically do what I what people call one shots so it's like oh here's a rip down with all the orchestra you like just doing like 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 some crazy effect you can't you can't mock that up you can't like fake that so you have to have a live recording of that happening but if you do it more than once you have to obscure that so, but if, if it were a live orchestra, I could just have them do it 40 times and every time is going to sound slightly different versus I have to manufacture that in what I do. So like sometimes that means that I'm layering in other instruments so that way I can, and I know I can affect the performance of that instrument. So kind of an example is like, there's, there are certain motions where it's like up and down. So it'd be like, like that kind of thing with like the full orchestra, but the woodwinds and the strings are going to sound the same every time because it's this, it's not a, it's not rotating on the sound. So it's just one recording, right? So sometimes the way I'll get around that is I'll take like a piano part and double it and I'll play that piano part. So whenever I double it, it, that sounds slightly different. So you get a slightly different sound every time, but you can't, but you can't fake that, but you could do it with, you could do it with a live group and no one would care. Like, no, you know what I mean? Like it's always going to be different. That imperfection yeah. is always going to be there. Even when they're perfect, it's always going to be imperfect. Exactly. So like, and that's the thing that I think is so hard is like, how far, how far do you go into that realm of imperfection? That is a bunch of stuff that you don't worry about with live players. So like, I always want to know like, Oh, I would love to be able to like actually sit down and create new effects. So the other thing is like, whenever you're working with that kind of MIDI stuff, you can't just be like, you can't create something new, right? Like you, you're kind of always locked into a, you're locked into some kind of sound. You can't be like, oh, I want to create this kind of new, new tone or this new idea. Like you can't do that really because, because you're working with samples. So they've already been recorded. They've already been, you know, a lot of times they've been mixed. A lot of times they've been produced. So you're kind of locked into one sound and you can't like, so a perfect example is there's some stuff on Jeepers. So I had, a, because the schedule was so short, I had a music editor help me make, make some of the music on you, you Might Be the Killer, where he took my stems and he basically did a couple cues, like some of the more backgroundy like cues that are, that would have been kind of copying and pasting of, of old material anyway. So it was really weird though, because he, he pulled in this cue and I, I watch it and it was, it sounded exact. I thought it. I thought he had literally gone and copied something from Jeepers Creepers because it was this. One, it was just this. It was a very simple. Mo- it was just like a chordal motion of this orchestration that I like, but because it's the same samples, it sounds the same. Mm. You know. Right. Whereas if you recorded one score in London and Abbey Road and the mm-hmm. other score at WB in LA, mm-hmm. even doing the same chordal motion will sound different with different players yeah. on a different day. And it's like it's this homogenizing different room and different exactly room. different everything. So it's like this weird homogenizing issue that yeah. drives me crazy 
just because I like the I like how this like sound is. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, so, I hear you completely. It's reassuring yeah. to hear you say that. Is it? Is there a particular? Um, I don't know if you'd like to promote it or not. But is there a particular sample base of for strings that you find is good, or do you use lots of different stuff? I use a lot of different stuff. Uh, <laughs> like I don't know a ton of stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's really that's really where it's at. I'm not really a huge. I don't. I don't have like a specific. I have a huge template. Like my, I have like three hundred something instruments in my template. Okay. So it's not really like a specific, and it's like different, and it just varies like across each movie which ones I use, and for different, like oh, I I like the runs in this library, or like the runs in this other library, or like the legatos in this library. So something I used to spend ages when I was doing um uh some stuff with MIDI was trying to find broken instruments you know i was just trying yeah, to find yeah. things where they weren't recorded perfectly because it yeah. sounded too fucking good and like you say too homogenized like i had yeah. all these i could do it with pianos there were some really lovely pianos was like okay this one's got real character in it but for strings it's really hard to find ones where they're like oh they're just bouncing off that string a little bit or something, yeah you know? it's actually i i found a library recently that i did that with where it was like it's a cheaper library i want to say it's like max 400 bucks i think it's called adventure strings or something mm-hmm. and it's just funny because like I really like the rawness of certain aspects of their sound. And it's like, I'll, I have the, I have other libraries that I'll use for things, but then I just end up adding this other library in to kind of, like you were saying, like kind of rough it up and like make it a little. Yeah. You can just bury it in there a bit, but it gives some character. Yeah, exactly. It just makes it sound more, more authentic. It just, like you said, it just gives it, gives it character for sure. Yeah. So Steven, you've edited a whole bunch of stuff, but I, and I was, I was surprised to see your assistant editor on a bunch of very interesting films as well, including oh. The Fantastic Four and Jack Reacher 2 and Trumbo. Um, I, right? I actually wasn't assistant editor on that. Okay. I just want to make that clear. Um, I, was an edit- <laughs> I was an editorial assistant, which is, editorial kind of like, assistant. A, which is like a glorified um, post-PA. Sure, um, but, you're, but you're learning a lot, I guess, from those... Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. My first editorial gig on Fantastic Four as the assistant editor who taught me almost everything I know, Patrick Smith said, it's best to learn it the right way the first time. (laughs) And since then, all the movies are like kind of like smaller, lower budgets. But I still have that like big budget movie editorial mindset, like kind of deeply baked in. Right. So what what was your schooling then? What did you did, was editing like a path you've been on for a long time, or is that something you kind of came to later? So I started actually. I have a degree in history, which you know is not really doing me much good right now. <laughs> but uh, I made movies in high school and in college, like little short things, and kind of kept making movies as like a back burner career path. And then I realized I didn't want to get a master's degree in history or continued like doing research papers and progressing the historical field um, once I finally like could really see what it would take to do that and after graduation I just went on Craigslist and found this really sketchy Craigslist ad that's that was <laughs> that's like how every good story starts <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it, there was a one line it was like looking for interns for feature film and I was like, all right, all right I'm uh, on board. I gave the address to the place I was going to a couple people that I knew. And I was like, look, if you don't hear from me, <laughs> in a couple hours, like this is where my body is. But it turned out to be the movie Two Guns. It was actually like a real a real deal experience. I'd spent some time working in accounting departments on movies, 
just to like stay close to the industry in New Orleans and make a paycheck. And eventually they knew that they knew that I didn't want to like be an accountant. Um, but an opportunity opened up on Fantastic Four that they needed an uh, editorial PA. And so I was able to transition over to that um, on that show. So I was actually on that show for over almost a year. Um, first on accounting and then in editorial. And since then, I taught myself avid media composer. And that's kind of been the key to my continued work uh, in the industry is because there aren't a lot of people in New Orleans that know avid. There are there is definitely like there are definitely people that do, but that are hard to find. Mm-hmm. And so I lucked out working with this producer Griff first. That's connected to uh, he's produced. You might be the killer. No, I mean, just met Griff first and um, have worked with him on several movies in the past couple of years. So, okay, okay. So, yeah, you're both from the same region, aren't you? You're both like uh, yeah. near New Orleans. Uh, what's the film industry like down there? Now? Do you get a lot of stuff sort of imported to there, or is it all local stuff? Um, just does, of a, does it even matter now that we're in the internet era of everyone's all over the place? It's actually uh, come back quite a bit. Uh, there was a couple of years there whenever they were changing around the tax credit laws that. The industry kind of got scared away, and it's mainly Atlanta now, but this past year, we've seen quite a few new movies, and there's like a YouTube series that's shooting there. It's, it's more profitable for like lower budget and series to shoot, but there's also like a much stronger independent film scene than there had been a, yeah. a few years ago. I mean, for me, it's, I mean, a lot of my stuff has been local. In fact, this year, I may have more local stuff than not local stuff. To me, it doesn't really matter. Even this movie, like Killer, was kind of, you said that it was edited, like Brett was like working on fine-tuning the edit with you, so y'all were like swapping files, right, as you went through? A little bit. Like a little bit? A, a, a little well, bit. Well, he seemed to like the workflow, whatever yeah. it was. He seemed to really like it. And it means a lot, because Brett also does a lot of editing. Right. So like for an, an editing director to be like, oh, I really like working with this editor, I'm sure means a lot, right? Where's Brett based? Orange County. Orange County, LA, okay. yeah. So did you do a lot of the editing remotely then? It wasn't... Yeah, it was kind of a funny situation. They shot it in Lafayette, and I was in New Orleans, and they were shipping me hard drives the whole time. And he actually stayed in Lafayette during the final cut, but the timeline was so compressed that we actually were never in the same room together <laughs> during, like, the edit. Um, and so That's there amazing. were... There were some things that he wanted to investigate in the dailies, and he did a ton of, like, sound work and temp soundtrack work um, and would like f- play around with some scenes and then pass it back to me and I would like finish massaging them but yeah it, surprisingly like we were never in the same room together which was made possible through like the internet and Frame.io I don't know if you've used that yeah, online yeah, yeah. software that's what yeah. we used as well for, for effects stuff for effects stuff what uh, am I allowed to ask about? I don't know if Brett and producers are happy talking about time scales with this sort of, sort of thing. I know obviously it was, you know, you guys did an incredible job in a short time scale. But. I think that, I mean, I don't, I haven't been told to worry about that. <laughs> I mean, like I, I had about three weeks to score the movie. So three weeks, 66 wow. minutes of music. I did bring in a guy to make sure that I would be, that like I would make sure that he could do some of the more like kind of mundane transition stuff. So like, you know, here's the killer theme. Here's the little like low crescendo theme. Like we, I need it in these spots, you know, and like these little transition spots. So I'm not worrying about the like yeah. 10 second 
like I'm worried about the big action sequences that are all like hit point, hit point, hit point, hit point, hit point. And I'm not worried about, oh, well, let me just go and then be done. You know, like that's the kind of stuff. But it was it was intense. And I and I worked. I mean, most composers kind of do anyway, but I worked remotely and it would be the same because I was giving him I was sending Brett stuff through Dropbox while he was in Orange County, which is I mean, that's my preferred workflow anyway, even if they're at local. You know, I prefer I prefer not to be in the same room as the director when they're watching the movie mm-hmm. because I don't I find a lot of times when they're in the room with me, they're 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 they basically feel like they have to say something. Yeah. Right. So like I've actually found interestingly enough working remotely that I actually kind of prefer I prefer the the third reaction to the track and not the first one. Yeah. No, I think you got a good point. I think there's a lot of problems in the film industry from people feeling and not even just from those kind of particular things when people are in the same room but everybody feels that you know they need to be useful they need to be on top of stuff they have to have opinions they got to be immediate and the amount of times i've heard people say stuff i think just to say stuff yeah and it's like well now people are doing things and changing things because you just felt you needed to say something yeah you can justify your job yeah which is always like a problem i think Um, yeah i feel like hannah i want to quickly uh steven actually if you can give us if you're allowed to a rough idea of how long you had to edit oh yeah i mean i don't think there's there's any secret about that um so they shot the movie in 15 days and i was cutting concurrently with that and um it was actually funny like the day before they started shooting they handed me this list of film festivals that they wanted to submit a cut to (laughs) right and it was three fests oh it was uh fantastic fest uh steegs is that i don't know if that's i think it's stitches i think it's stitches oh yeah yeah and another one i forget which it was because that that deadline was actually like the day after they started shooting (laughs) (laughs) that's not gonna work (laughs) and i was like well there's kind of a problem with that but i think they worked something out and got an extension but the fantastic fest deadline was actually slated to be like two days after they finished filming fuck yeah so no pressure no pressures but um (laughs) so that terrified me when i saw that schedule but you know much to the credit of the director brett simmons and the dp andy strayhorn and the lead actor fran kranz um all who like really did an excellent job and griff first and tom vitale the producers really set it up in such a way to where like i mean i would me and the assistant editor anna holly were working like 96 hour work weeks um, for those three weeks but we submitted a cut to fantastic fest on time and and got in (laughs) yeah got in so i mean i hopefully i they didn't watch that version of the movie and they watched one of the updated cuts (laughs) that we (laughs) that's the problem isn't it yeah when you're updating that links and it's the ones who say we only like accept you know you can't change the version but then it's like, but I know I can because I could just re-upload this video yeah, whenever yeah. I want to. And you'll, you'll never know. But yeah. um, so, but yeah, then we, but then after that deadline, we had about like three weeks to get in like all of Brett's notes and what he wanted to massage and what Griff and Tom and then uh, the network, what they wanted to address. Um, so you just had the shooting basically and then three weeks afterwards? Yeah. So like six weeks total. Fucking hell, man. Okay, uh, I want to talk a lot more about that. Before we do, I feel like we got off, could we just go straight into it organically because we wanted to chat about it. But for, for listeners, 
I wanted to read off the IMDb a little bit about the movie so they know sure. what we're talking oh, about. Sure. They hadn't had a chance to see it yet. Fair. Um, so yeah, the film's called You Might Be the Killer. I'm just reading, we enjoy reading just the summaries that are up on IMDb because they're the ones that, whether written by the companies or not, the companies are allowing to represent their films on IMDb. Um, so just so you know, that's how I summarize stuff. Gotcha. Do you guys, do you know if Brett and people like organize this one? Or I haven't I read have it. I have no idea. Oh, I haven't read I think, it. I, I think no I've idea. read it. I think it, I think it's pretty pretty good okay. it seems pretty decent because some are fucking surreal on <laughs> and you're like how the fuck are you letting it? and sometimes for huge movies it's like how are you looking at this and deciding yeah, yeah that's all right what intern was the one who made that choice exactly uh so a camp counselor suffering from blackouts finds himself surrounded by murder victims he turns to his horror movie enthusiast friend for advice and to contend with the idea he may be the killer uh directed by brett simmons who some people know for husk uh animal um, I've seen both of those. What else do you do? Oh, yeah, The Monkey's Poor. I don't think I've seen that one. He was overjoyed when I met him in the bar that I'd seen Husk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> You're in genre fans now. <laughs> Starring Fran Kranz as Sam and Alison Hannigan as Chuck. And a lot of other people who, with all due respect, I'm not going to go for the full list. <laughs> but uh, obviously, they're the main draws to the film. Um, and I have to say, I really genuinely enjoyed it. Again, I wouldn't ask you guys onto the podcast. You're both lovely people, which would get you half in to like, I want to talk to you guys anyway. <laughs> and you're both part of a process that I find interesting. That is one of my next questions. But unless I enjoy the film, it's just too embarrassing to ask people to talk about a film that I'm like, that was terrible. Well, I appreciate <laughs> it for sure. It's a re- no, it's a really fun film. I've been reading, I've been paying attention to all the reviews and it's so nice to see like the enthusiastic reception that all the genre critics are giving it. For sure. And it's really like, again, the testament to this film was coming out of going, that was a lot of fun. Like for me, it's like such a great late night movie because it just keeps you awake. It's short. It's like got yeah, interesting twists to it. I don't want to like say too much about the narrative. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, again, like the, the um, I mean, the editing's fucking, we'll get to it, but the editing does some very interesting choices with this. The music like managed to, yeah, annoy me by finding out, oh, that wasn't a real <laughs> instrument. And I, it should does have, the I shouldn't have told you anything, man. I should have let you go well, in blind. I mean, again, like you'd have to That's guess you done. wouldn't, I would have been astounded. How did you have the money to do it as big as you did it? But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and again, the uh, they break a rule for me where I tend to, unless it's Scream, I tend to hate a film being centered around technology like a phone or something. Um, but it fucking works. Like, it, it works well. And the two characters, like a lot of the interaction in the film, yeah, it's between between France and Allison in remote different locations over the phone, and it, and it really does work. It's got a cool poster as well. I like this poster. Who did that for you guys? Nice. Uh, Brett, the director, actually did that. So Really? Yeah. Like the sort of painted one? Yeah. I, I don't know if it's really painted, though. No, it's like the music. It's it's, it's, it's a digital. It's like uh, the music. God damn you <laughs> all. It's not real. God we damn you. It. it looks cool. I like it. I like it. I thought he did a great job, for sure. So, yeah. So, now people know what we're talking about before they're like, all right, <laughs> what the fuck is going on? So, one thing that really interests me and why I'm kind of excited to have both of you on at the same time is when I'm making something, I'm always interested in the workflow of film. And the kind of relationship between the different aspects of film. And I feel there's a trifecta of interesting relationships that go between the sound, whether that's the design or the music in particular for me, uh, the editing, and then the effects. So can you guys, um, Stephen, can you talk a little bit about what is the regular workflow for you in terms of just of people listening who don't really, you know, who aren't familiar and are maybe thinking about doing film? Because I do think this is a problem like once you're inside the industry, people like to keep... Even the most basic things we don't like to talk about. And it's, unless you're spending, you know, years in film school, 
it's difficult for people to jump in understanding, no, that's not going to work because you need to do this first, you know? So when you, I mean, editing during the film happens. I would say it doesn't normally happen quite as intensely as you seem to have had to do it. You might be working on an assembly cut or something like that, you know, just like, okay, here's basic sort of how it is in the script. We're putting those scenes together. Here's some of, you know, the highlighted takes and things like that. And then, like, what is normally the process for you in terms of when it goes to music, when it goes to effects, your relationship with that stuff, and when you have a final cut? Yeah, so in uh, the past couple of movies I've worked on are all TV movies and editorial. I mean, I think editorial works best when it's kind of in, like, a bottleneck position. Like, it's taking all the chaos of set, like, everything that's gotten out of order and out of sequence and kind of mismatched for various production and financial reasons and like as it's coming through the editorial suite we help make sense of it and i know a lot of composers prefer to get the movie only like once once it's locked you know so like there's not a lot of craziness that they have to readjust for same for and all these schedules like uh the only people that i know after editorial that want to actually get it while it's happening is maybe visual effects so often I'll be turning over visual effects plates that I know like this shot is a money shot and we need it and it's a lot of work. So let's get it over as soon as possible. Um, But from my experience, sound department for the kind of budgets and schedules of these, like they don't want to get locked to from me. So typically, I mean, that also puts an extra burden on me and the editorial team that the movie, whenever it plays for like the, the director and the producers and the networks, still has to feel like a movie and so i can't just get away with like just focusing on like video track one and knowing that like as long as we get the rhythms of that it'll be fine so we actually i have a policy in the cutting room that like nothing is temp in my mind like everything that we do like with temp sound effects or temp music or temp visual effects like we have to treat it as if it's like it could work in the end obviously it all it all it hopefully it all gets replaced but i can't i don't want to coast on knowing that someone's going to know that mm-hmm. it'll be replaced later and don't also worry, it's going to be fixed later basically yeah like it's not like that's that's not for them to have to worry about and also i think it advances the conversation for the director for all the other departments later that like okay the temp does this i want you to do that better and push it further in this direction mm-hmm. my least favorite thing to temp is music actually because i think music has so much character and personality and uniqueness to a film um and i think you cutting too much to temp score can actually negatively impact the rhythm of an edit because you start cutting to someone else's movie basically so i typically like only put in temp music as like a final touch just to help kind of like smooth it over for the viewer because i feel like it has to work on its own independently of music well that was going to be my question because yeah much like we were just talking about with when you're working in midi and if your midi's you know if you don't have good samples and you're not like used to it you know like like say when i do stuff my brain just has to go into okay i'm really trying to use all the vision i can for that one again to room with real instruments it's gonna sound right you know it's gonna fit and it's so hard and you'll hand it over to like you know play it to people and they're just well this sounds terrible it's like well yeah of course it does because i don't know what i'm doing on this fucking thing but hopefully when it's real it'll be great and i find with editing it's even even more an extreme version of that in terms of the whole time you're editing you're like well i'm gonna have to lock and we're not gonna have the music 
and we're not going to have effects. And so I'm having to basically guess and use <laughs> collaborative vision with the director to figure out how long these shots should be, what that pacing should feel like. Because I think movies are the one, and I don't think people appreciate this. I really don't. Like when, when you watch, it's like, okay, so when you're a band, the secret to being a good band in gigs is when you play a song to the audience, it should feel like it's the first time you've ever, like, like you're coming up with that song as you play it. It just happens to mm. come out perfectly that first time. And I think that's like the, the, what we're always looking for from art. And it's the same with movies. Like when you, when you watch it, it should feel like all those things came together. You know, like the effects just happened and the yeah. music just happened and the editing happened and it all happened at the same time in this collaborative, beautiful thing. And it's not how it works because it can't for budgetary reasons, practical reasons and a million reasons, you know? It's like a musical. Um, like no one questions why, why everyone on set knows the the dance number and the and yeah the steps of the dance and the song. You know, no, no exactly. One, we're not questioning that. You know, no, exactly, exactly. So with editing for me, so for instance, with yeah, with Off Starfish, we had bad things happen, which actually gave us some good opportunities, but it wasn't normal. You know, so uh, I think I may have, may have mentioned it to you, but for the audience, like when we we edited it. And we had a long length, like we weren't in a big rush to get it out or anything. So like, you know, I had the luxury of time, which can also be very negative, I think, because then you overthink things and obviously your perspective keeps changing as it always will with film. Um, and it was just me and my own in a room for a long time, which is always a bad idea if you're the director. It's like, don't. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually then I was like, okay, I'm going to pass it over to this editor that I know and I'm friends with called Alex Elkins, who then I gave him free reign of like, well, look, I've done what you could call an assembly edit essentially the film was like an hour longer than it should be because we had so many extra scenes and i said to him, do anything you want like just do a new save cut it reorder it whatever you want i don't care i'm not you know like we can i'll just want to hear your ideas he could then express himself and then we would meet up together to go from there you know in terms of all right i think like 75 percent of your ideas were great these 25 percent i wanted back in for whatever reason and you know we'll talk through that and then we came to a point and it was still too long, but we're like, okay, but with our festival deadlines and what we're trying to accomplish with this film and budgetary reasons, we have to stop now because we have to go to effects and we have to go to sound. And then we had some problems like come up later on just because of how low budget things were. And with we had like, like majority of our effects are fantastic and I'm very proud for our teams, but we had one outsider we had to bring in at one point to finish some stuff and he kind of didn't do what we expected to mess it, mess it up a bit. So that really was a big stumbling block um, that took a few months to rectify. And that gave me and the editor the chance to go, there's a lot of stuff in this film now that we have the objectivity <laughs> we want to like- go back into. So I had to like warn the sound team and warn all the other teams and go, look, I'm really sorry, but we're going to make your lives difficult now because we have to go in because we want what's best for this film. And we presume you want what's best for this film. So don't fight us on it. Nice. <laughs> um, and we went back in re-edited the film and we hadn't touched the edit for maybe five months at that point you know uh maybe longer yeah longer actually so we got to go in and then do a re-edit and really like we'd done a little test screening by that point so you know you can hear the things that people are confused Mm -hmm. with and what you do want them and don't want them to be confused with and and we cut out like another 15 minutes of the film 10 to 15 minutes of the film you just made everybody else's life easier is really what you did well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously we had to pay that a little bit extra for the sound yeah. team and stuff, and it pissed them, but they were happy because they're like, no, it's a better film now. They're like, yeah, yeah well, as soon as they saw it, they're like, no, this is better. Like, we're, we're prouder to work on this now. Oh, awesome. Which is always what you want, you know, from any yeah. team. Yeah. But obviously it cost us a little bit more, but they cut us a break with that. Like, they're very lovely about it. But it's, but then we get to the end, you know, and we're finally getting those the last effects are handed over to us and some of them are you know the ones that take the longest are going to be the key effects and you're not going to get them back until right at the end of the process 
and we look at them and me and the editor are like fuck some of these scenes should be a little bit some of these shots should be a little shorter because we thought that this is how it should be but once you see the effects in there you're like oh that doesn't need to be prolonged like that but it's too late by then you know there's at least another five minutes we would cut out of the movie now if we could go in um now that we've seen the movie for what it is and i've always found like as a big genre fan going to these festivals going with big groups of 10 people we come out we critique the films I think, you know, I've always thought it's amazing any film gets made because yeah. it's such a mess of things and particularly gets made in one like that you can have a bad film or a good film. It's like every film should just be a mess because there's so, so many things going on, you know? Yeah. But that is coherently one thing is always been amazing to me. But we'd always be quite critical of that stuff. We're like, oh, why was that shot was too long? Or why do they have that in there? And it never had occurred to me uh, before like doing this stuff sometimes it's just like well that's just how it is it's like you can't go backwards you know yeah. it's like it's not that wasn't a decision and maybe the director and maybe the editor and maybe whoever else agree with you and they would change that but at some point you have to close the door and just move on because finances and time doesn't allow you to do anything else so i'm just interested to see with editing like how do you combat that constant sort of visionary compromise you have to have with with you know like well i think the effects are gonna like feel right for this amount of time i think the like score beats should be good for this amount of time like it's so symbiotic but you don't get to do it symbiotic you know yeah so my approach is kind of really rests in my almost like my first viewing of the dailies and kind of this like very audience centric uh, mentality where I'm trying to really place myself in kind of like you were saying before with like a great band is kind of spontaneously coming up with a song on the spot trying to like undo all the work in my mind that I've put into the movie up until this point and almost view the film like with virgin eyes um, and really kind of pay very much attention in a meditative way to like where my eyes go in the screen and kind of what how the rhythms and beats and almost like my own breathing are affecting like the pace of a scene um which i've had some experience with doing like the imaginary work like on uh, some shark movies where like obviously the shark isn't practical um it's just this cg monster and that's actually like a huge pain in the ass uh to actually edit those kinds of movies because like you said like you can't see it and like that's like a whole character so like the whole time I'm working on it, it's like the word shark animated on the screen. And that actually helps quite a bit to like see that and feel it. And sometimes it doesn't, you know, like without the objectiveness of additional time working on these like really crazy schedules, you don't have a chance to step back and really be like, oh, wait, I was wrong. I, I, I over tightened this moment because I thought that we needed to get here. And really like I kind of want an extra breath. But for me... The only way I find that I can combat it is like that trying to get that symbiosis is just being very cognizant of my viewership as like an audience member and kind of like my, where I am emotionally with the material. And obviously, like there are these sci-fi movies that aren't I don't think people would necessarily describe them as emotional films. But as an audience member, like you are invested and you're on this this like roller coaster of information coming in and you have to make sure that like the roller coaster flows and sometimes as a cheap trick i'll actually like wave my hand back and forth kind of like in a metronome pattern and see if things line up hmm. kind of in, within the same wavelengths interesting yeah what about you andrew how does that affect because i do think it's something with with all due respect to the composers and the sound teams and uh 
I mean, effects at the end of the day, they're getting paid to do it. It's just a waste of money if you edit the effects again later, <laughs> but yeah. you totally can. But for the sound and the composing, it does affect everything. And it is this kind of balancing act. But at the same time, surely you want the best film possible. Like, do you have you ever got the opportunity to go back and change stuff? Or, you know, have there ever been a re-edit while you're scoring? Honestly, most of the movies that I've worked on that get re-edited are because people... The re-edits are usually because they don't know what they want. So... So if you're working on like I'm trying to think of the best I think there are movies where they're overlong and they don't understand why they're overlong and or they don't understand why something's not working so then they just go well, we're just going to cut a new version of it and we're just going to move on. And like I think that those are problematic. So like I've worked on a couple movies, actually one I got fired off of because they didn't know what they wanted and I had done started two different versions of the score at that point and they just didn't know emotionally what they wanted so instead of figuring that out and then locking a cut they just kept doing the edit and then saying okay go score it and then i'd start scoring it according to their own notes and then they would go oh well this doesn't work emotionally because they they had already like desensitized themselves to the cut so it wasn't like what you're saying where like you went and hired someone else to come in and cut down your movie they just kept re-editing it over and over and over again and they didn't understand why it wasn't working because like they would come to me and say, oh, well, we just don't understand. Like we want this like emotional moment. And then I was just, and I would tell them like, but that doesn't happen in the movie. Like you, you've now desensitized yourself to this footage. So none of the emotional hits work because you've watched it a hundred times, you know, and it's hard to keep that balance from the outside perspective. And so I've had that happen. And then I also have had those moments where it's like, okay, yeah, like if you cut out a few like a few seconds here and there, it makes a difference, you know, like or even, oh, well, this movie was two hours and it really needs to be 90 minutes, you know, and that and if it makes the movie better, yeah, I'm I'm on board. But the worry that you have is just conforming to everything. And it's hard for me to shake the feeling in an individual scene that I'm not compromising the music like moments for for the film in the sense of I've done some videos where let's just say I was I've done I did like a 10 minute short film at one point and in this short film I did the whole thing it was all one long file because it was basically it was basically continuous music the whole file they come back and they go okay well we cut 15 seconds out of the movie I said okay cool well where where'd you cut it and they go, oh across the whole thing you know, so then I had to sit down with it again and reconform the entire movie and and all the phrases that I had worked so hard to build of like, okay, here's this buildup and it lasts this long and and this hit happens here now has to get completely reshuffled and now sometimes those builds are compromised. Now, they're compromised in my mind, but for the audience members, probably not. You know, like it's kind of one of those things. It's almost like the live versus the MIDI. It's like if you don't hear it both ways then they probably won't even know the difference, you know? So it's hard not to shake that. My, my biggest thing is I hate the interruption of workflow. And then the re the, like, especially if you're dealing on a long, on a long project, right? So like I've had a couple projects that get stalled out cause they're indies and indies, you know, money is a thing that people need. So like they stall out for whatever reason, and then they come back and they're a completely different thing. And it's six months a year later and now I have to try and get back in the headspace I was in when I was working on it which is which also like technology moves so quickly it's also probably a pretty good guarantee 
that my setup is different too. If it's been over a year, especially. So now I'm now I'm fighting technology to get back to where I was a year and a half or a year plus. And then I'm also fighting to get back to familiarize myself with all the work I've done because I've like I've done, you know, this year, I think by the end of the year, I will have scored nine movies, like nine features. And so if you come to me a year later and say, hey, I'm ready to finish my movie. I'm like, I don't even remember anything that was going on in that movie. Like musically, like I remember the movie, but I don't remember the themes. I don't remember the emotions that I was experiencing at that moment. I don't remember any of this stuff. So now I'm fighting a bunch of other stuff besides just actually putting the notes to the the notes to the screen, I guess. So I always prefer to have locked cut if I can afford to. And if it's not, I always prefer to to have locked sequences. So like or if I go into it, I know that it's going to change. So like on on killer. I was trying to get down the like the 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 sound of the movie. So one of the things I was doing, I was like writing themes and sending them to Brett so he could say I was like, I'm kind of thinking in this world, like, what do you think of this theme? What do you think of this style? And so I was I was having a little trouble because I had watched a little bit. I actually went to set for a little while. I watched a little bit of footage on set. I was actually talking to Steven. I was like, hey, once you get like an action sequence or something, why don't you send it to me? Because I really want to I really want to actually see it to picture. Because that was so, I mean, just especially I remember talking to them about it because I hadn't watched any footage of how the killer moved. So as for me, it's maybe it's silly, but like visually the picture always informs everything I'm doing. And so if the killer is going to, I mean, it, I guess it makes sense, but it's like even like how bright something is, how dark something is. One of the things I was wondering is like, how fast does he move? Is he like. Does he like chase after you or is he like kind of a, a Jason kind of killer where he just like feels like this unstoppable force that just keeps gone coming, you know, like they're they're scored differently because they behave differently. So I remember him sending me one of the first assemblies that he did of, of like a, an action sequence, which was there's a scene in a kitchen where some people get killed and like and like that was the scene that he sent me. And he's like, this is not final. He's like, this is not going to be final. So I, I totally get it, but I scored it just so I could send something to Brett and be like, hey, watch this to picture. Here's the video. to Here's the score to picture. What do you think? Does this feel good? Does this feel right? And I think that's very useful because then you're not wasting time once you have the final cut. Mm-hmm. You're not wasting time spinning your wheels going, oh, well, just let's just... The yeah, exactly. And, yeah. So so that was an asset to work from, from a non... And I mean, I ha- the version in the movie is a shortened version of it. So it is a conformed version of that. Mm-hmm. of that video of that like scene but for the most part it's that kind of thing that I always prefer to work with locked picture because I don't want anything to interrupt my 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 flow of work or my ideas of course of course you know it's not the end of the world especially I agree that like if the movie is better it may be annoying but you know the movie's better well that's the thing I was going to say is like I hear everything you're saying and I agree with you completely and I've been on the flip side of that a little bit not obviously no one near as intense as you but occasionally it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, like uh, hopefully as long as everyone's making decisions for the right reasons, you know, yeah. as long as it isn't because, oh, we don't know what we're doing and we have no vision for this and blah, blah, blah. And or people, everyone's changing their mind. There's too many cooks in this kitchen. But if it's for the general reason of, look, we've got a bit more perspective now or we've got this in and now we know like this is going to be better. You know, we've done a, a test and we actually has pointed out some highlights to us. Uh, hopefully everyone involved with the film is in it for the right reasons in terms yeah. of we want to make it as good as is humanly possible. So I am always like personally as a director, always one of those teams around to, yeah, I, I get how annoying it is. Like for our sound team, it was crazy fucking annoying. Like they had spent nearly a year 
working on sound um on and off and then we had to like come in and just fuck everything for them yeah (laughs) (laughs) but the thing is is like and i sat down and i didn't say it in an arsy way but the truth is it's like it's a nightmare for everyone like if a director makes that decision or a producer makes that decision their life is so much harder for so many reasons from that point onwards um and it's an emotionally difficult thing and it's an exhausting thing um and you're having to do a million things like that all the time as a producer or a director so i I feel it's just one of those things of like yeah ideally you don't want to do it it normally means you're in trouble but if it's for the right reasons then everyone i feel just hopefully just has to kind of i think it it also matters like what the film is sure so like there is nothing more annoying than when you're working on and I don't mean to belittle these things because I've done a lot of them but like TV movies are very much they're like kind of I don't know they're they're like very formulaic so it always drives me crazy whenever I deal with a like a situation where like all of a sudden something gets changed and it's just like it's just like we're not making anything better we're just making it different for Mm -hmm. whatever reason whether it's a producer or the network or whatever and I've had a couple movies where I get a redelivery of something and I'm just like, this isn't any better. This is just it's just different, different. And it doesn't help anybody, but I, it's, it could be any number of reasons. Whereas like in your movie, like your movie is much more of like an art piece. So it's like a different mindset. Like it drives me crazy whenever there's a movie and they just keep tweaking it. And it's like, you just, no, I hear what you're, saying. Yeah, you're yeah. not making it any tighter. You just, <laughs> you're not yeah, making you're not it any expressing better. a vision any better. Basically, you're just, yeah. Yeah, exactly. For the sake of changing them. For sure. No, no. And again, that's something where I do feel like too long with a movie for editing and music, in my opinion, can be detrimental as well. Like, you know, everyone always wants more time. But then sometimes when you have more time, it gives too much time to keep yeah, changing your mind on stuff and keep like getting to different positions. Like for me, the pressure normally the work that i feel i've done best in my life has been the stuff that's under pressure and while we had some good stuff that happened with starfish because it took so long you know there was a lot of combating to do there because of the bad stuff that then comes up because you're reflecting too much you know you're um overthinking a lot of things too much as well yeah um i do think there's a reactionary thing to filmmaking that can be kind of beautiful do you think your score came out the way it came out because you did it in three days and not because you did it over a longer period of time like if oh, you yeah. had, if you had had three weeks to do that score, yeah, it would be how very different. different. Would it be? It would be. I mean, and that's actually something I'm going to throw back at you. So thanks for starting. Is <laughs> to do with no, it is. It was something to do with limitations for both of you because, yeah. With so with our score for people who don't know, um, actually I don't think I've talked about it yet. Um, on spoilers. <laughs> um, with the score for Starfish, yeah, I just basically because it was a very personal subject matter, I was avoiding going back into it. We'd had all these troubles. I was leaving the score further and further, and people kept sort of contacting me and going, "You started work on the score yet?" And I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it's fine." <laughs> and then eventually, it got to this point. Uh, this was before the troubles happened, though. So you know, it was back when we thought we had to be locked on a certain date and all this stuff. Yeah. And I ended up and I was nine days away from the date that it all had to be done and in. So I sat down, locked myself away, had like photos of my friend who had passed away, who I wrote the film for, and had to get back into that mindset of grief that I was in when I wrote the film. And then when we, you know, tried, when we shot the film, I was about to say tried to shoot the film. We definitely <laughs> shot the film. Uh, <laughs> and... Yeah, I did that for three days just because that's literally all I had. So I didn't sleep and just did it for three days on the stupid. I just bought a MIDI keyboard because I didn't have anything. I was traveling. So I just had one of those little tiny ones. Had no good sample sound. So it just made obnoxious, you know, you're doing strings and it's just. (laughs) 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 Okay. Think in my head, I can get this to sound nice with real players. 
Yeah, and then we went immediately the next day into recording it. I give a shout out to Ollie Jacobs, um, who's a sound engineer and a producer and a great friend of mine who I work with on my album stuff at Real World Studios. If you go to Real World, work with him. He's great. And we recorded for three days. Obviously, us having spent years working together helped that process, you know, go quick. And then we mixed for two days and then that was it. And the only way we could do that was we had to create rules, you know, uh, like we had to create strict rules partly because of budget, but then also just because of that time frame. And in order to do that, then my rules were, okay, I know I want strings. We can't go beyond the quartet on this. And I know I want piano because uh, I, I had, like, to be clear, there was like one theme that I'd started to write a piano while we were shooting that we were thinking of doing as a musical number in the film, which didn't happen. Um, so oh, I took man. a bit of that as one of our things. Uh, yeah, I'm so heartbroken. That's the one thing I would like to, I mean, there's a lot I'd like to change, but that's the main thing I like, fuck, I wish we got to do that music number. <laughs> there you go yeah so we had to make those rules and then we had to make the rules when we're mixing it as well because there's so many things you can do you know like yeah. our early rule was okay no midi because as soon as you decide no midi it means all right well we have very little very few options yeah <laughs> with what we can do which makes things go a lot quicker so then we had to go with all right once so with the strings were like they have to be clean basically the whole time there's a little bit obviously of room that we're allowing in I, I think we accentuated a little bit of reverb but we're really just trying to use these two rooms we were recording in as much as possible mm-hmm. and then we're like okay once a character is in the signal in the film where things go fucking weird we're allowed to revoice the strings that was our rule uh, but only through organic stuff so yeah we use this rotating um what you call them there's like a rotator inside this organ that we then revoiced it through and it creates this weird like warbling noise mm. There's a video up on our Vimeo if you go to vimeo.com slash we are tessellate, I think, which has like a little three minute making of that. So we've got to do that. Otherwise, nothing else we could do. You just mix it, you know. I got to have great fun seeing down with the strings and getting them to really push stuff. And they, they never really get to see the films or sit with the directors. So it was fun for them. So we just brought out a TV as soon as I realized that, let them watch the scenes. They wanted to talk about like, then they got into stuff. They're like, okay, so what's the Viola expressing for the character in the scene? And I was nice. like, explain, okay, I think you are more this in this scene, the cello, you're representing this. And they'd really get into that. And I try and encourage them to break their strings with the like, no one ever wants us to break our strings. I was like, I want you to fucking go crazy with some of this. And then with the piano, I knew I wanted the piano to be the personal journey of the character. And there's a lot of yeah mixtapes in the film and she's quite damaged at the beginning and depending how you see the film in a different place by the ending. So we revoiced all of the piano through cassette tapes and then the cassette tapes we had pre, like we spent a few hours with three of us in the room just sort of destroying the film on the cassette tapes on the spool and just oh. randomly doing it and trying to like, in my head, imagine, okay, if I cut it, if I just ruin the film in these bits and then a bit less here and just having to guess basically, and then revoicing it through that until it worked right. So gradually it goes from this sort of like, you, if you watch the film, you'll notice the piano sounds pretty shitty at the beginning and it's cutting in and out a bit and, and there are artifacts in it. And by the end of the film, it gets to a much cleaner place. And that was the only thing we did with the piano. And that was it. And because we had to make those rules, it actually made it much easier. Uh, so to answer your question, yeah, if I'd had three weeks, who knows I what would happen? It would be completely <laughs> different. And there are like there are two bits in the film which I hate because of that time pressure. You know, like there yeah. are two bits. I'm like, oh, those were stupid decisions. I wish I'd done something different. But all the things that I like about the score came 100 percent from having that time pressure. So that's part of my question to you guys. Like, I know um, I've just been reading about Woody Allen, how he works. You know, he goes and shoots. And then they take a break to edit and start working on score and stuff. Um, and then they know, then they haven't finished the film. And then they're like, okay, we know what's left to film. 
and we know what we need to reshoot and then they go back and finish stuff how does time pressure i know everyone's like everyone in genre film is like there's not enough time there's not enough time i appreciate that but do you feel it's ever for both of you you know proactive to not have much time to edit something and to do the school so editorial is kind of funny in that way because even when you don't have enough time like on a calendar you still need to clock in I found like almost the same number of hours in order to get it to a place that it feels like it's a movie like so you have to come up with like different ways to like limit yourself because it's still got to like the story still has to come across it still has to resonate um, and when reading the script for You Might Be the Killer, what was interesting to me was how, like, the perspective and power dynamics through the film kind of shifted. It, even though they have, we have, like, a central main character, where, like, we're bouncing back and forth through time and flashbacks. And then, as you mentioned, a huge component of the film is, like, back and forth across a phone call. And then, at certain times, the, the killer is like kind of the protagonist of a scene and sometimes some of the other camp counselors are the protagonists and sometimes Fran Kranz's character is the protagonist and the killer is in the background and kind of this like passive, not passive, but like not an a- the active character in the scene. So for me, those were the kind of limitations I had to put on myself and really finding in each scene, like how am I going to cut this based on like kind of a this power dynamic relationship issue so that I could be happier with the cuts at the end of the day because I think that's you just can't second guess yourself as much when you don't have the time it's like measure twice cut once and so I would actually I do this trick sometimes where I'll like watch a clip and then when I feel like okay like we need to show another perspective here I'll drop like an in real time like drop an in marker and then watch it again and drop an out marker and if I've lined it up within like two frames, like I'll know like, okay, like that's, that's a good place to splice and kind of this more, it, it's a little scientific and I kind of like don't like to delve too deeply into like this theoretical scientifical like numbers based editing that I sometimes do because it's all more emotion feel based, but it's good for diagnostics, but I think having those groundworks of like, okay, I know that Sam, the main character, is driving the scene or, oh, never mind, he's in this argument with his girlfriend, his ex-girlfriend in this scene, like she's actually going to have control. It really limits the types of splices that I can make, almost like I'm creating like this palette of active and passive splices so that at the end of the day, I know if, okay, we, I know we want to achieve this with this scene story-wise emotionally so like it's just a matter of finding the takes that have the most conflict and having it fall into place because i need to make all those splices i need to get the movie to time and i only have like six weeks so i think i calculated it out and like if it had been like a normal like 60 hour work week it would have been like two and a half three months of editing easy or and so it would be great to have that amount of time, if not more. <laughs> so, you've right. never, so just to be clear, then you've never had, yeah, you've never had too much time in terms of like, it never feels like too much time, but you've never made a, a decision that you look back on and you go, oh, that was a bad decision. And I only made that because, you know, that came at the end of the process or whatever. And I kind of reflected on things for too long. 
no, I won't say that. Because uh, <laughs> I think because I, I think you can overanalyze you can overanalyze it, right? And like mm-hmm. like spend way too much time on like a moment, and then when you watch it through, you realize, oh, this moment happens like seventy minutes into the movie, and by this point, the attrition of the viewing, like you didn't even it was so inconsequential that like I didn't need to spend that much time worrying mm-hmm. about it because I could have placed like I could have done um, like any number of things there. Because I do think sometimes overanalyzing it, you, you run the risk of, like Andrew was mentioning, being like people being desensitized to the movie, and I think that's like my my big fear. So I think doing things quickly has the, at least the advantage that you don't get desensitized to it as often because you haven't been living with it for like five months or six eight months or a year, and to where like you forgot where like what moments like hit you in the chest when you watched them on screen for the first time in the dailies. So I think there's a benefit to that time crunch for sure. But I do like to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> you ridiculous, man. I know. Uh, I do think it's a problem as well, in particular, we should mention just for genre, which obviously we're all involved with genre films predominantly. And there's, I think, again, calling back to that question and the earlier question I had with you guys, is that process between sound and editing is more important than ever, I feel, with genre. Like, you watch a genre film without the soundtrack, and it's boring. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, yeah. it is. Yeah. It's just, like, tense scenes are just boring. You know, whereas in a normal, like, drama film, they should work, you know, it's just kind of like watching a play, and Regardless, then the, the soundtrack yeah. should boost all of that. But there's such a big component is that, is the music in those scenes. Did you guys, you've already mentioned, like, you, you got to talk a little bit when he's on set, and he would send you, like, an action scene, so you could start already collaborating that way, but... Do you find that's normal that you get to have that sort of back and forth between the editor and the music while you're working on that? I mean, for me, unfortunately, not so much all the time because the time schedules are so tight. And so you end up needing to like create these temp tracks. I mean, I like to, at the beginning of every project, reach out to the composer and try to get some stuff like, oh, hopefully they've had a conversation with the director ahead of time and they can kind of like guide me towards either things that they have in their library that they think will like work i prefer to like work with that kind of material because it'll sound more not only like the colors of the sound will be more true to like what the film needs but it also will sound more like the end result that the composer will deliver whereas like working with temp music from like john williams for instance like it's you're never you're never gonna get that and it's also like john when is john williams right for (laughs) for your own movie but unfortunately you just end up often with just these these temp scores kind of to just get it through, get it past notes. And it's kind of all muddy and me not being a composer myself, like I think a lot of it musically doesn't make sense. Um, you just try to not let them affect the edit at all because, you know, obviously, you know, the end score is not going to be like that. It's not going to play to those beats. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know. I mean, I've had, I've had at least on my end, I've had... Mix, I, I used to think, like, don't put any... I would rather them not put temp music in the movie on the edit, but, like, I've had some really bad experiences with producers where they freak out because they can't deal with it without music, and they don't understand that, like, music will help speed things up and that music will help give, like, kind of fill in the emotional blank. So I've worked with a couple movies where they work great without music, but then you show it to an editor... Or not an editor, a, a producer who has no imagination... And they just shit the bed, you know, like, and as a result, I've actually 
because this movie was a little bit different too because with brett also who who does some editing as like a side job he actually kind of like so steven had a version of the movie with his temp music and then brett whenever he got into working with steven actually retemped the movie with like the direction he wanted so it's kind of interesting to like because Stephen had had tempted a lot with I think you attempted with Jeepers is that what you attempt a lot of it with or was yeah it, yeah so he attempted with Jeepers and then Brett got into the edit and was like oh well I actually that's like a little too dark I actually want to go more in this direction and then he pulled up Predator and so like so it was interesting because in this movie I had already talked to Stephen and we already talked about it and there was a lot of big challenges too I know that you dealt with this in your in your edit is that like is that is that it's, it's it's it has like a lot of lightheartedness and comedy to it so how do we treat the comedy musically and in the edit was like a big point of contention not like negative contention but a big point of discussion with with all of us so like for me a challenge was always like the restarts like because there's a bunch of jumps back in time and the restarts so we had to have a conversation like do we do so like whenever we do because it's a non-linear movie and whenever we do a jump back in time and then we cover events we've already had like how what do we do musically there are we just doing an abbreviated version of what was already there are we doing something different that's like more montagey that like that it could be different music that what what are we doing so like there was a lot of really interesting conversations with that at least just from a workflow perspective and as for the time speaking about like the time crunch thing I don't even know what a normal production length would be. I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, I don't even know. I'm so used to doing scores in four to six weeks. I mean, I should rephrase. I'm so used to doing scores in two and a half to six weeks Mm -hmm. that I don't even really know what a comfortable length of time would be. I mean, it would be amazing to have a couple months, but realistically, would my writing actually be any better for it? I mean, I think to some extent, yes, but there's also certain like gut reactions that I have that I always try to capture. I always try to write down or to keep it ingrained in my mind of from the first watching that I do. I guess I have the advantage of I don't I don't see all the different pieces. I'm I'm just watching the the assembled version, you know. But I think also like the the more time the the luxury of the of the time expansion for me is to get to put in the extra production of like. Um, like someone to actually mix the score someone to actually like maybe we could record parts of the score or all of the score you know get somebody to actually do some of these hands-on things that because we don't or even just being able to say oh well like which do we like version three or version two you know or in depending on how much time version 10 or version two you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like how do you actually how do you actually do that on an abbreviated schedule the answer is you really don't but if we're working on a three month schedule and you say, you know, I really like this version, but I really kind of wonder if we, if we went darker with it or more surreal, like what if we do a new version, like a completely a do a rewrite that would sound more like a waltz, like you just fill in the blank, you know? And then you have the luxury of being like, Oh, let's try that. And let's, and let's just experiment with it, you know, which I rarely get the chance to ever do that. Like, I don't usually get the chance to to actually sit down and be like, hey, you know, like, what happens if I print this out to, like you were saying, like, what if I print this out to a tape uh, machine and then I mess with the tape? You know, like, I don't get that kind of luxury of, of, I mean, you didn't, you did it on a time schedule, but like, 
I don't get that kind of experimentation, I guess, because of the length of time that I usually work under, which is the, I think, like he said, it's good and bad. Like there's a very visceral, visceral part to it, right? Like I tend to try and go very emotionally based just for, for purposes of time. But like, there are times when it could be really interesting to go in a different direction, but you just can't because you don't have time to even experiment. It's just go put your head down and go. And how's that, Stephen, to do with, with takes on the film? Do they normally, like with, with Killer, had Brett already highlighted, you know, the takes that he liked? Or is it something that you got to have some input in and then he kind of came back and contradicted it all? Or? That's a great question. He definitely did circle takes. And I really enjoy having circle takes. I mean, obviously with digital, like, you don't have to just print the circle takes. And something I really like doing when watching the dailies is getting a sense of like how all of the performances evolve over the different takes in a scene and how like different actors within the same scene like will their performances will kind of peak in like performance and conflict and then maybe like die out a little bit and then come back um and really get a sense of like what does the circle that Brett's circling, like, what does it really mean? Because especially in some of the longer takes, you know, being on a tight schedule, there are these longer takes of a scene that encompass more action than you might typically do. I found that the circle was like, okay, this take ended great. But with some of the actors who maybe are less experienced, like takes one and two, would inevitably be like their better takes and as we they went on like not that they got bad but that they just lost a little bit of that spontaneity that was like believable so it's always fun to figure out like okay this actor take three is their best take but this one whichever one's the second to last take will definitely be like their their highlight but then and also having like brett's circle takes helped inform like okay like i see that there's like the big difference between over the course of this setup like what how the takes evolved but i mean i'll always like ask i like to ask the director before we start like what their policy on circle takes are because there are directors out there that are very rigid about it that they know what they want and they want to just go by that i'll still watch everything just to make sure like just to know what was there Mm -hmm. also to learn i guess why they rejected certain ones like you can Right, because then that there might be like a vestige of that that pops up somewhere else in the yeah. circle take that you want to like stay away from. Yeah. But Brett was very open with the whole process and really was curious to see what would happen with an external editor. Since, as, as Andrew's mentioned before, he edits a lot of his own stuff. Or the last couple of movies he's done, he's been like a very, very hands on co collaborator in the editing room. Um, and even on this one, like he did like help out with particularly some like action beats in the first two reels that he really wanted to dial in a certain way but with this one he was like just was more interested in seeing what would happen with someone else's eyes on it it felt that the whole process was pretty collaborative on my end as well like i felt that he had he had his ideas but he was always ready to like to if you sat down he said this is why i did this or this is like, let's talk about why I did this or whatever the moment is. I felt like he was very like collaborative in that sense. It sounds like the same thing for you. Right. He, it's not that he wasn't precious about anything, but he was always striving to get like the best version yeah. of the movie out there. And 
with especially when you have on these tight time frames you have to be able to trust the people around you because if you micromanage everything like you just run out of time you know like if he was if he was so like invested in the edit that he was like second guessing every choice that i made not saying that like things wouldn't have changed but he just had like just from pure time standpoint like he had to trust that these things were chosen and they were like chosen for good reasons and like my my favorite question is like whenever you get from a director or producer network is like oh is this the best take yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 and it's like, oh no, sorry, I chose, I chose the, the, the not the worst one, but you know, I chose yeah, a middle yeah. of the road, a mediocre take. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's one of the, you know, one of the battles of film is you're genuinely trying to interpret the vision of one or two people, the writer and director, and trying to mm-hmm. keep that so it feels like it's you know a singular vision, but it's a collaborative medium, so you have to you know yeah get everybody's inputs into that to find the best way to do one vision, which is always. A very weird balancing act, I think. Yeah. We had fun on on Starfish, like I think almost every single unless we were really hard up for time, almost every single shot we did, the last take I would give to Ginny. Like we had an agreement before going in. It's like the last one's for you. And I'll do this particular sign that I didn't want the crew to know because I didn't want any expectations on her of like now you're gonna be crazy mm. or anything. But it was always like it's a little sign, which means yeah, we've got enough time, and that means this this last take that we're doing, you could do anything you want to do, express yourself. It means we've got it already. I'm happy. You can just express yourself, kind of thing. And it was great fun to see the ones that we ended up with, you know, from that where she just felt freer because that relief an actor feels when like, oh, I've already done my job. Now yeah. I can just explore something. It's great. That's awesome. That's yeah, a that's really wonderful cool. idea. I really like that. But yeah, you gotta have the, the amount of time. My my first AD is normally <laughs> looking at me crying. <laughs> like, I just want more. You want yeah, to would you what? like would you like uh, to be the editor who had to work with David Fincher on Social Network and go through those ninety nine takes on that first scene where she's breaking up with him? <laughs> Dear God, like, like that's like you, a ten minute scene, man. That's like, uh, how do you keep perspective with that? You can't. Like, no, I mean, I'll just watch the final. Thanks, Al. Do you cut in Avid or do you premiere? So I'm a nightmare because I'm, <laughs> I, I hate change. So, no, so f- now I'm cutting in Premiere. I've gotten used to it now. But even when we did this, I was still cutting in Premiere a few years ago, but I kept just being, I'm not 100% comfortable. So I started cutting Starfish in Premiere for two nights. And I was like, no, this isn't free flowing enough for me because I'm just not used to it. So I went back to Final Cut 7. <laughs> I can respect Final I did Final Cut 7 for a long time. So I cut like my first assembly one before I gave it to the editor in that and then said, here you go. You have to now get this over into whatever software you want it to, which he had to do. Um, oh, that, that is a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> from now oh. on, it'll be Premiere. Don't worry. <laughs> but Avid's too complicated for me, just because I'm not used to it. It's been a long time since I learned Avid and everything's changed too much. So mm. can't do it anymore. I mean, that's the problem is everything just changes too much. It just keeps the torch keeps getting like when I was at film school it was a long time ago. And yeah, it was it was all obviously Avid's always been the premium. You know, that stayed the same. Uh, but the passing back and forth between Final Cut and Premiere has just been hilarious, you know. <laughs> One of them, it's kind of like Sony and Microsoft with consoles. Someone's on top and then they just do something too fucking braggish and they just drop the ball <laughs> and then the other one yeah. picks it up and then they just go back and forth. <laughs> For sure. And I feel like that Avid's like PC, right? Where they're just like, oh, but we're better. And then yeah. every, everyone ignores them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, we know you're better, but you just stay in your corner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to talk a little bit about festivals as well then. Uh, so 
Yeah, you guys, was it your premiere at Fantastic Fest or had you premiered somewhere else? That was the premiere. Yeah, that was the premiere. Okay, yeah. Great, great, great. Well, do you guys normally get to go to the genre festivals? Like, I know you guys hadn't been to Fantastic Fest before. Is that right? Or That was my first, like, major festival. Like, I, as in, like, I'd been to a couple, like, regional festivals, but I'd never traveled to anything. Just partly for time, like, it's an investment of time and money that I just didn't really not necessarily feel comfortable with but it's just i just mm-hmm. did i just never it's the biggest festival that i've i think that any of the movies i've ever done got into mm-hmm. so i never traveled to and also you're not going to travel to to at least as a composer i'm not going to travel to fantastic fest just because i got a short film that got into it sure you know right. so like that was my logic <laughs> i would have a pretty similar answer that's yeah <laughs> yeah does leave it at that <laughs> and as, okay so then if that was like how did you guys enjoy fantastic first like, i know you guys were there for sort of the first half of it the industry half of it as they call it yeah i will i will say the second half i was expecting it to then to completely die down some of the you know some of the screenings sure had way less people in them because a lot of the industry had gone but the crazy of the festival continued like there were insane things still happening everywhere with you know events and fun stuff all the time it was so different than the festivals i've attended have always been very I don't know, like kind of straightforward. So for me, it was weird. I didn't even, and I wasn't used to the ticketing situation, yeah. which is like you have to make sure you ticket the night, the night before, or else you're going to be in waiting. And so instead, I'm one of those people that if I have too many choices, I just don't do anything. Instead, I'd, I'd you get back to the hotel late, and I'd forget that I'd have to schedule for the next day. And then Brett would remind us about something like, oh, make sure you get your ticket for like hold the dark. And then I totally forget, and then we'd be in line waiting for something, and then sometimes I just wouldn't even want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So if I did it again, it would be very different, I think. Like, the the whole... It was really... Because it was just like, it is kind of crazy. Like, there's just something happening all the time. And it's not just like a panel. It's like, it's like there's events, like actual events. Like, our premiere was up against the debates where, like, people go and punch each other in the face and stuff. Yeah. And I talked oh. to a lot of people who were like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to a midnight premiere versus the debate punches. The boxing, or, yeah. the boxing thing, yeah. So that, is, like, that is a problem. I feel they got so many cool things happening. I kept seeing movies that were like, yeah, you're up against something that's really hard to miss. And yeah, that's and I, kind of unfair in a way. <laughs> well, and it's, but, it is, but it also I think both of our showings, because we had double showing, right? I think both were sold out. I think. It was definitely packed in the one that I it was It was in. packed. In, yeah, I think you were in the same one as us. And ours was definitely sold out. I know they added a second screening because it had sold out. I don't know if the other one actually did sell out. But, I mean, so it's not like they could have... I mean, I guess they could have done more screens yeah. if, if more people but had signed up. But That's one of the things I love about the festival, though, is, like, they worked very hard. It is a little confusing when you first approach the ticketing and all the standby lines and stuff. But yeah. they work so hard to make sure all those screens get in. You know, For sure. As full as possible with all the people who want to see the movies, which is really For sure. Great. Yeah, really I, thought, I, mean, I I enjoyed it. Like, if, if I go back, I, I'll have a lot more, like, heads up, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'll know, I know a little bit better. That was my experience, at least. I think what I loved most about it was probably the consolidated campus of the festival and just how, like, everything was just right there. You know, yeah, that you, was great. You didn't have to cross. I mean, like, I love Austin, but traveling back and forth and calculating in transit time to get to screenings can be a little bit of a headache um but the fact that like everything is just right there and especially at the alamo draft house like that's a pretty cool venue for an entire film fest um and i love the branding of the fest and all mm-hmm. the like the, the funny little bumpers and stuff they would throw on to the beginning of each screening my main gripe 
is that there was never, at least whenever I was there at anything I went to, there wasn't an open bar. I know that's a lot to ask for, <laughs> but... The ticket price is pretty hefty for not having any kind of, like, I think the whole a half, I don't remember how much the half was, but the whole festival was like 600 bucks, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it depends was, what type of pass you're getting. Yeah. Okay. Because there are so many different types of, that's like the extreme version of it. That's like the fan badge, which is, well, the, kind of guarantees you to films, basically. I thought actually what I, speaking to your point, it was cool that everything was in one spot. Also... It was like, I'm not a super extrovert, so like it was a little bit trying for me, but it was also, I think, a big positive from a fan perspective is that basically the top fan badge is basically an industry badge, which is like, that was really cool, whereas a lot of a lot of festivals you go to, it's like the filmmaker thing is a very different thing. The experience of the filmmaker is very different from the fan, whereas this one was not that way. And I think everyone being on top of each other as an introvert's nightmare is also part of what added to like the experience of it like yeah. the energy of the whole thing which i thought was great overall you know everyone's really fucking just yeah Into like there it. is everyone's just really lovely like yeah and john sure. festivals people are always passionate and but they can be a little crazy <laughs> and i yeah. just thought there was such a great perfect level of it a fantastic first which i keep saying but of people not being too gushing but also not being snide about anything like it was just respectful and For it sure. meant that yeah all of the creatives could hang out like the podcast we did a couple of weeks ago franklin who we met there who had a short film at the festival and his his first time at a festival as well he just got to hang out with Jeremy Solnier and talk for an hour and a half at the bar, you know, while Hold the Dark is playing because he didn't get into the film. So Jeremy just went and chatted with him for an hour and a half yeah. about the process of filmmaking. Nice. And it's just like, it's wow. fucking great that everybody there just feels that like comfortable. Like Elijah Wood would do the same with people and Jack Black. And like, it was just very, it's, it feels like a safe place. Yeah, <laughs> which, which I thought great. was great. Yeah, I, I was really surprised at how like devoid of, I mean, there was security there, but like, I didn't see any actors with like security goons on them. Yeah, no. You know what I mean? Which was I was like, even Jamie Lee Curtis. Like I'm sure they were there, but I didn't see like yeah the bouncers or anything or people ready. to Yeah, tackle. like I was <laughs> in the line for the bathroom and Elijah Woods, a person like Elijah Wood is like two people in front of me. No one's like no one's messing with him. He's just in the bathroom line. Yeah, you know. Whereas in general, you'd expect that to be kind of a mob situation. No, yeah, exactly. All right, so I want to talk. I know you guys didn't get to see that many films at a festival. Stephen, I know you, you saw level 16, right? Yes. Now, here's okay, I'll tell you my least favorite thing about genre festivals and the one that I just did at Brooklyn here. This is my, this is my seriously, my least I favorite hate thing. Them. This is really what you're going to say. They're fucking terrible. <laughs> no, it's that, it's that, particularly as a creator, is that you're going with something that you're trying to support. Now, personally speaking, I'm not a fan of my film, but how I feel about my film doesn't matter, you know? It's like you give it out to the world and you see how other people want to deal with it. So I find it quite uncomfortable. I love talking about the process of my film, but I don't like talking about my opinion on the film, you know? Mm. So when people ask you questions like, how do you feel about your movie? And it's like, well, that's irrelevant. Just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but you're trying to support your movie and you feel so lucky that anybody else is there and, you know, and then you meet nice directors and you meet nice writers and you meet editors composers whoever you know is there and you talk to them and then everyone's like oh yeah what's your movie oh what's your movie oh okay i want to go see your movie oh i want to go see your movie everyone wants to go and see each other's movies it's very lovely it's very nice but it's also 50 percent bullshit you know because it's like even if you like the person it doesn't mean you're gonna like the movie that they've been involved with like it doesn't really mean anything and then you gotta have that awkward conversation afterwards if you didn't like the movie at all you know and that's what I really hate is like, I keep meeting nice people. And again, you two wouldn't be on this podcast and I wouldn't be saying this to you if it worked that way. But I keep meeting nice people. And I'm like, oh, I really like them. And then I go to the film I'm like, oh, that didn't do anything for me at all. Or as well, you know, whatever. 
which is awkwardly now, particularly if these people are listening to the podcast, <laughs> going to lead me into talking about some of these movies. But this is my big thing. This is my, it's like, I love talking about movies with people. Fucking love it. But the older I get and the more I mix with other people from, you know, who are as passionate or more passionate than I am about films and other creative people, it's the more you realize that none of it matters. And it's this weird juxtaposition of, I love talking about movies, but also no one's opinion really matters because you talk to someone and you love something and the person next to you hates it and vice versa. And I was just talking to people to do with franchise films and like, you know, the, le- the majority of people's least favorite film was like their favorite film in the franchise. And it's like, all right, it used to be a point where you'd have fun with that conversation. And now I'm just at a point of like, well, it's all arbitrary then, isn't it? Because everybody yeah. loves, hates, mediocre on every film. If you don't like something, it just means it's not for you. Somebody else, you know, that loves this film. So I do want to talk about some of the ones that you guys saw. So you saw Level 16. I actually just met the writer-director of that. She is truly lovely. And I mean that. She's a very, very nice lady. I didn't really love the film, to be honest. But I know a lot of people really, really loved it um, at Brooklyn. Uh, how did you feel about Level 16, Stephen? Oh, I'm in mind. She's listening right now. And I'm <laughs> <laughs> She might be. I don't know. And I mean that. It's like if it, it, she doesn't need uh, us to give yeah, glowing she reviews. She's getting plenty. Loads of people love it. It doesn't need to be for everyone. Oh, just like with You Might Be the Killer, like I've read some great reviews of it that like just totally shit on it. And I'm like, well, you know, you know, you, know, you bring up some good points, yeah, fair point. yeah. you know, like, I, uh, <laughs> but then you read. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So level 16, I liked a lot about it. And I think they did a lot of the film with excellence. And I think it was very well cons- like put together. It honestly, you know, weeks and weeks later just hasn't had much of an impact on me. And I'm not. I haven't really thought about it again until you kind of brought it up. And I think that says a lot about it. It definitely has this like dystopia future kind of like grim look on the world with, with, you know, with hope, but I don't know. It wasn't really, wasn't really my speed. And I'm willing to admit that like, it's probably just a me thing. You know, obviously like, like you were saying though, like it's all arbitrary, you know, like what did I want from it? And I don't think that even really matters. I'm not angry that it exists. <laughs> that's good. You shouldn't be angry. Yeah. Most things exist. No, I know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the thing. Like, honestly, and I'm trying to cultivate that stuff on our podcast where we can talk stuff. I'm trying to get to that space now where you do meet some of these people you're talking about the films, you know? And it's like, I don't, I don't want to disrespect people. So it's, it's important to be clear in terms of like, this just wasn't necessarily, you know, as exciting for me as it was for other people. But I'm still love that you made it and I'm still interested maybe in what you do next and that stuff, you know? Right, because I think everybody on that film like did an excellent job like in their various departments, you know, mm-hmm. like and I th- and I really appreciate that, like watching it as an audience member, like, you know, I was I was invested in the story. I was interested in what happened next, but ultimately just not necessarily my film. Well, so your yeah. opinion can change as you watch it, too, or a- sure. after you watch it. So, like, I-, I went into Starfish not having any <laughs> preconceived notions about it. Here we go. I uh, opened well, the door. Well, no, no, <laughs> it's a bit thrill. No, no, no. no, no, no. I'm, I'm being serious. Like I, I, t- I went in not knowing what to expect. So, and I had sat next to you in Halloween, and I, I actually like when you were like, "Oh, I direct this movie." I was like, "Okay, cool. I can go see it." And I had no idea what else to see. So I was like, "Sure, this is, this dude seems cool. Let me put this down." You know. So I walk in this movie zero preconceived notions. Like I had seen just the like picture in the program, and like when I first watched it. There was a lot of stuff that I liked about it, but I just didn't really like it hadn't like sat with me very much. So it was like a little bit. It's like, okay, here's this like interesting indie movie that's like 
it has a lot of really cool ideas, but like, what's the like? It was just stuff, and I really did genuinely like when I talked to you afterwards. Like the the score really was interesting to me because you had told me that you had done it in a short period of time. But it's one of those moments where like it was cool, and I didn't hate it, but I didn't, I wasn't like in love with it. But the longer it sat with me, the more I kind of liked it. You know what I mean? Like the longer it sits with you, and you, like you were saying, like you watched the movie and you were invested in the moment, but you didn't. But it wasn't something that like stayed with you for a long time. Whereas like you could watch something and be like kind of mad about it or not mad about it, but just like not have a whole lot of impact. But the more you think about it, you're like, actually, that was really cool or this was cool. Or like now I think about this shot that from like a crafting point of view is really cool now. Mm -hmm. Whereas like even the shot that you had talked about with the huge monster in in the thing, which I watching it, I was like, I, I was like watching it, I was like, man, that's a really awesome shot. And it like gives some scope to the movie because you don't have a ton of it. But there's times when also in the theater or in the moment, you have like some really cool things where, where it's like, oh, that's really interesting or that's really interesting. But then like as you, as it sits with you, you may like it more or may like it less, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. as you discuss it. No, absolutely. That's the fun of this stuff. We'll be able to have healthy conversations. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I've been attending some stuff at the New Orleans Film Festival this weekend, and like they'll give you the little scorecards, uh, which I I have mixed feelings about. Yeah, because I I kind of feel like you got into the festival, everybody won. You know, mm-hmm. like if there's anything to win, it's just the laurels that like you you passed passed whatever arbitrary benchmark that was. But they'll give you the little scorecards to rate like one through five, and like I'll write like a little number next to each one as I watch it, and like inevitably, like by the time I get out of the theater. And really sit down. Like, even within that, like, two minutes, I'm like, fuck. Like, I should have given, like, I gave this one a five. And, like, no. Like, it, it was, it's like. higher than that or lower. No, it was, like, it wasn't actually, like, yeah, it, was, it wasn't the one that I wanted to, like, give the most praises to. I mean, obviously, it's all arbitrary and, like, whatever. But uh, like, even within that amount of time of, like, getting out of kind of that, like, hypnosis of, mm-hmm. of the theater, like certain things settle a different way and then like three weeks later you're like you'll think of this one moment of this one short film that like was mediocre but then you're like oh wow but they like nailed they delivered on it that Mm -hmm. emotional beat i think that's the crucial thing for me is like it's because i work with a group in la mostly in la uh also some in london and in tokyo of about 12 people and you know we collaborate when we can basically together and the important thing that we all have to make sure, and it's one of the reasons I like doing this podcast is you become so close with stuff. It's like you have to be able to tear each other down a little bit, but also support and respect, you know? It's like we each respect the passion and creativity that we're each trying to do something. It doesn't mean we're going to love everything each of us does all the time, you know? And I do hate that thing of like, well, you can only be friends if you're pretending to love each other's work <laughs> the whole time. It's like, it's bullshit. It's like, there's no possible way I'm going to like everything that they're involved with. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. But as long as I keep respecting what they're trying to do, you know, and the passion that they're giving to something. For sure. That's what, you know, means a lot to me. And that's how I feel about all these films. Like, I won't name check like all these, but I've been seeing some films at Brooklyn Film Festival. Saw about seven films. A lot of them I was mayor about, to be honest. And there was one in particular... Because uh, to be clarified, because I've seen a lot of them at Fantastic Fest already and loved them. So I was sort of tidying up and seeing the ones I was less interested in. And then the one, there was one in particular that I saw 
and people loved it people fucking loved this movie they were all over it. i was talking to people outside they're all excited and i don't like talking about something in a circumference of the makers you know because it's yeah, too yeah. upsetting and, and then we went away and we talked about it and um with a group of a few of us and i had to say i really hated that movie i was just like i felt it was poorly shot i felt the music was really bad the sound design was bad i thought there were certain chemistry things that i liked about it there were certainly elements of like but i really respected the creators behind it like i i could feel their passion coming through it i really enjoyed them in the q a's like you know i could tell that they had passion and creativity um so i'm still interested in what they're doing next you know and that's that i think is the dividing thing it's like well look you don't need me to love it because fucking everybody else seems to love this movie yeah <laughs> that's great but allowing there to be that you know conversation and it's always hard because most film to get a festival no one wants to come up and say something you know you don't want someone to come up and say something shitty to you at a festival because you're on a high and you don't get many highs in this business <laughs> so yeah. you want to just enjoy you're at a festival with your film and that feels great you know some people there are hating it of course they are there's too many people not to but you're lucky to be showing it to that many people where you're going to hit all those demographics you know well that was always terrifying well that was what was terrifying about our showing is because it ended up getting out so late that everyone left. Like, not you were the only person who said anything to me after that showing. <laughs> Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. And it, it, because it got out at like two something in the morning, you know. So yeah, like yeah, yeah. everyone's exhausted. Everyone just pieced out. And like there was a point in the movie when like half the theater left. Did you see that? No. And like I recognized some of the people who left too, which made it even more awkward. And so like. It was just because you because like where we were sitting in the draft house was like right on that walkway. So as soon as people walk past, like like it's the the like it's the separation, right? So like there, there's like a walkway kind of like one quarter of the way up the theater, mm-hmm. and so like the whole filmmaker team is sitting there, and like yeah, we had yeah, a yeah. lot of people come in because it's not that far from Louisiana, and like a lot of people came in, and here comes like I don't know t- like twelve people like just walking out. And I'm like, uh, okay. And then at the end, like most people just immediately left. And so I, I assumed it was like, I was exhausted Yeah. and it had been like, it had, you had the short in front of it. Then you had the brief introduction from the director and then you had the Q and a at the end. So yeah, like by the end, you've, you've added a lot of time onto it. So most people just pieced out and just immediately left. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I saw, I saw that a lot of people talked to Brett also, cause none of us like went into the front, only the producers and Brett went into the front. So no one also, to be fair, people may not have recognized us. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But it was really weird because most of the other films, like you kind of see other people talking to the director. It's like, all right, cool. And then this, and I was expecting like a little bit of like, oh, cool. Like a- asking questions about stuff and like pretty much, pretty much it was not that. I do appreciate a fantastic <laughs> fest. At least your badge says your name and the film you're involved with. Yeah. Uh, one of the things with Brooklyn Horror Fest, which I really love, it was a fucking great festival. Uh, but if anyone, any of the lovely programmers are listening, <laughs> if you're a filmmaker, it just says filmmaker on the badge. And the problem with that is like they don't know what you're a part of, and filmmaker can mean a lot oh. of different things, you know. Yeah. And it is nice to have the affirmation because even with my name and the film on my badge, and having got up for like two Q and A's. People would still come up to me and I could see like a look where they're like doing a double thing. Is that the person I want to talk to? I'm not sure. Yeah. And then they're trying to look at your badge and it's still awkward, you know? So it's nice to have that affirmation. For sure. For sure. But yeah, I think a lot of it has to do just with the timing. Because I mean, yeah. like I, I saw a documentary at New Orleans Film Fest that like I loved. But like the timing of it, I just, I had to jet as yeah. soon as it was over. And I like, I wanted to stay for the Q&A, but like, you know, just couldn't. Yeah. And at the same time, though, like, come like living in Louisiana and particularly living in New Orleans, where like the drinking culture, like 
doesn't have a last call. <laughs> like like two a.m. Like like when I got out, I was like, oh, we're gonna go out. And we're gonna, gonna get some yeah. drinks after the after the movie because like it's mm-hmm. only two and like that's normal. And then like the bar is closed down, and I'm like, oh yeah, right, because yeah. we're in Texas. And you should have come with us. We were getting three a.m. food every single night. There are like two great twenty-four hour places in Austin. Oh, <laughs> every oh. night we'd go and eat and talk about all the films and just take whoever we're hanging out with. That's good to know. Feature reference. Yeah, I'm 100% going next year, to be fair. Like, I loved it with, without <laughs> a film. Okay. Andrew, you saw the new Halloween, which has just hit theaters. Yeah. We're going to be talking about that on this week's show. So I'm not going to say anything about my opinions because I'm not allowed to legally. <laughs> but did you enjoy? Overall, yeah. I mean, for a genre film, I enjoyed it for like the slasher genre, which was I thought was great. But I mean, my thing, my biggest frustration with it I wish that there was more motivation behind the Michael Myers character. And I wish that, I wish that like, so the way it was kind of billed as, cause I'd seen it, I'd seen like two trailers for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way it was kind of billed was like, Oh, Jamie Lee Curtis has been, or, um, you know, Laurie Strode has been preparing for this day, you know, for, for 40 years. Like that's her like little just monologue. Just right? one second, just to be clear to our viewers, oh, sorry, our listeners. Sure. No spoilers. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. People yes, are yes. still fresh to this movie. No, for sure. So. For sure. So my thing is, uh, I wish that they had done more with like her, like, cause obviously the story from the trailer is she's been building for this and she, and Michael Myers escapes, you know, and they have their showdown or whatever. And, like, I really enjoyed the finale of the movie. I just wish that there was more motivation getting Michael to her mm-hmm. and that they had expanded the finale. Yeah, yeah. Because well, they a- literally take it away. I mean, they make a point of saying, no, it's not her brother. We're getting rid of that law. Yeah. And very much trying to make a point of we're taking away motivation. Yeah. And, um, and like, or like, and then at the, at the beginning, they kind of, they kind of talk about like some more supernatural stuff and then they just never really deliver on it. So, like, I, I just really, like, it's that kind of stuff that I really enjoyed the finale. I wish that they had taken away some of the more, like, kills for kills sake, which is kind of like the genre stuff, I guess, to some extent. But I wish they had expanded the finale because they set up a whole bunch of stuff that could have been really cool to work with. Mm-hmm. And then they just, like, kind of just like, well, here, here it is. Here's the ending, you know? And I, like, I just didn't care about anything that happened to, until the last, like, like, there's a big expanse in the middle of the movie that I just don't care what's happening until right. we get to the finale. And I think that if we had played more on the finale, it would have been really cool. Like, that's kind of my thing. And then the other thing about the movie is that, like, I liked a lot of the score stuff. But in the finale, I wish that there there could have been a lot more chilling stuff that wasn't played subtly. Mm-hmm. So, like, Michael Myers' figure steps into a doorway. And instead of getting, like a, like, some kind of creepy vibe, we get this, like like really loud noise that's like yeah it's like cool we know michael myers is here you know like it's not a reveal like he's been here the whole time and like that was the kind of stuff that i just i I, it was like kind of a missed opportunity like like actually steven and i worked on a movie that was this thriller movie that had this really awesome moment that the director and steven crafted that was like this creepy moment where like you had had this this jump scare right like from a, a character in a dream into reality and then she like creeped through the house while listening to this person walk around the outside of the house. And it was creepy. It was like one of the few times I've ever watched. And it was a TV movie. I like, I got chills watching it, just sitting there watching it in the temp version, like not even the 
not Steven's even looking the, very happy right now. Yeah, yeah. Not even, not even in the final version. And I told the director and I told Steven, I was like, I've only had like a handful of times where in the temp version I've laughed out loud or gotten chills. And I still stand by that. There's only been a couple times that had have had that way. But like, like it was this like chilling moment because it was actually devoid of music and it was like so hardcore on the sound design and so like it just was this tense moment and like i i always like look for those moments and this was and in there were a bunch of those moments in the finale that that they did deliver on but like you know it's just like the like it could have been cool to be more subtle with it that was my thing is that there were moments like that sorry not to ramble on and i don't think i did any spoilers on it right No, no there's no spoilers at all there's a loud noise when Michael Myers disappointment. when when Michael Myers steps through a doorway at some way. Sorry guys, sorry for the spoiler. <laughs> so back in the heyday of this podcast, we used to have a particular format to do with news and stuff, which we ditched now for more topical stuff. But I do still talk about a few releases at the end of it and the box office. So I'm just going to do that. If you got anything to say about anything that we're we're about to say, then please do. But okay. some of it pertains to Fantastic Fest. So I should say Terrified, which played at Fantastic Fest and did very very well. Um, that is now up on Shutter. So you can watch that movie okay. if you want to. Hold the Dark, which I know, yeah, you <laughs> and me, Andrew, saw Jeremy Sonia's new film. That is up on Netflix right now. Um, so people can watch that movie. We talked about that one. We talked about both of those actually on the episode 99. You liked Hold the Dark, right? I mean, I love Jeremy Sonia. I like Hold the Dark a lot, but I had real problems with the ending. Um, and it certainly didn't stay with me. Like Blue Ruin is still my favorite by far, by a long mm. way. I did not care for it. Oh, yeah, but, I remember. That, you yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, continue. <laughs> no, I liked it a lot, but I didn't. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those. It, it's not going to stick with me, like you're saying. Like it doesn't yeah. resonate in any way, yeah. other than the shootout in the middle, which I thought was fantastic. But yeah, yeah. On Blu-ray and digital, we're getting Border um, released this week. That is also a film that was on at Fantastic Fest. I haven't seen that one, but I've heard very good things. Bohemian Rhapsody is coming out at cinemas next week, as is the Suspiria remake, which also played at Fantastic Fest. You can hear our thoughts on that in episode ninety-nine. And Prospect, Prospect is a film done by Ooh. Depth of Field and some other companies and Gunpowder and Sky, I think, that's got a cool poster. I'm going to be seeing that next week at Ithaca Film Fest, which is where I'm going to be. Oh, so that's making the festival rounds now? It is, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's very exciting. Did you see the short film it was based on? No, but I just met someone who's involved with the making of it and they're telling me like the process of how they made that film, which I, I don't know how much is public here if they can use it as a talking point, but it's fascinating how they made that film. It's very unusual. Oh, I'm very, I'm very excited about Prospect. Yeah, looks cool. So yeah, I'll be talking about that probably in a couple of weeks' time. On Blu-ray, Sorry to Bother You is coming out, which is the crazy movie that, again, too many spoilers to say why, but crazy. <laughs> Night of the Demons is coming out. Uh, the classic is finally coming out on Blu-ray. And I think we're alone now, which I was super fucking excited about. I managed to get a screening copy and I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, so I'm probably going to watch it tonight. You just weren't that excited about it. I keep having that. It's like, do you know how excited I am for Old Man and the Gun? I was like so excited for that film. I love the look of it. Like A Ghost Story was my favorite film last year. So I was so excited to have a new film from that director already. And I haven't brought myself to go to cinema to see it yet. Because it's just like, I've got to travel to Manhattan to see that film. And I'm just like, too tired, (laughs) (laughs) And I don't leave my flat when I'm writing new scripts. I just get too introverted. There you go. Well, I think we're alone. It's the one with Peter Dinklage. Fuck, who is it? It's that girl actress, you know, that one. Yeah, that, that, oh, I, I really like her she's, work. She's pretty good, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it looks, the trailer looks great to me, but it's it's going straight to digital and Blu-ray. So, and it always hurts me when I see these films where it's big actors and it looks great. 
and then they just go straight goes to straight. digital. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, well, what the, what chance does anything I make ever have? <laughs> 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 it's a valid question. Yeah, that's most of the stuff coming out. So in the box office last weekend, the top 10 films, we got Old Man and a Gun at number 10, which I'm kind of surprised about, but I only made 2 million over the weekend, but still pretty good. Number nine is Bad Times at the El Royale. You can hear our thoughts on that. That played at Fantastic Fest in episode 99. At number eight is Night School, which looks like a fucking nightmare to me. But <laughs> Number seven is Smallfoot. Number six is The Hate You Give. What's that film? Oh, yeah, that's meant to be good, isn't it? Yeah, number five is First Man. Have any of you guys seen this yet? I have, I have a friend of mine who's... Has, a lot of my friends have liked it. I haven't seen it, though. No, I haven't seen it either. Yeah, I just... I went to see that because I was down the road from where I'm staying. And I was very excited for that as well. So I had a long score... Co- Features a theremin prominently, which is interesting. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, that makes sense. It is. <laughs> I, I talked to someone after seeing that movie, actually the same person who was involved with Prospect, and they really didn't like it um, very much. Well, they liked it fine, but they weren't, you know, they had a lot of problems. They didn't blow them away. I really loved it, and I see I, it kind of feels like an immediate sort of important tentpole classic to me. Other than the ending, I feel they don't take enough chances with because we all know the story. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we yeah, we yeah. don't know the details of the journey, so the journey's interesting. But by the time you get into the end, it's like, well, we know what happened at the end. Yeah. So I felt that's where you need to take some visual chances and get a bit more metaphorical, you know. And they don't. But it's that's really interesting. Really gorgeous. They shot thirty-five and sixteen, and it's very very bold. I would say the person I knew saw it on a proper IMAX and. The fact that it's a little soft the whole time, which it is, um, drove him crazy. So I would say see it on a smaller screen, to be honest. Okay. It looked good to me. Really great performances. And I wouldn't have known it's the same director as Whiplash and La La Land. Like, it feels very, like you know, something. Yeah, it doesn't have that bold, you know. He's, he's got a very bold directing style, and I feel in this. doesn't feel as bold, but it does feel just as important, if you know what I mean. Mm. A lot of shaky cam. So if you don't like your cam, Murabi being don't shaking watch around. IMAX. Yeah, it, could, it <laughs> can make you a bit nauseous. Uh, Goosebumps 2 is at number four. Uh, number three, just gobsmacking to everybody, probably including the people involved, is Venom. Uh, uh, what? Just made a huge $171 million, and people are still turning out to see that movie, yeah, even though it's been hated. Yeah. <laughs> it's making tons of money, so we will be getting sequels. Oh, God. I'm sure Tom Hardy is not happy about that. Yeah, probably not. Number two... <laughs> Is A Star Is Born, another film everybody's loving. I haven't had a chance to see this yet. And at number one, Halloween, proving to be, uh, I think just after It, like the biggest opening ever for a horror film, the biggest opening for the entire Halloween franchise. 100% is going to get those Friday 13th legal problems sorted out so they can bring that boy back. And yeah. <laughs> slasher films are probably going to come back after this because it's made $77 million, $77.5 million. Wow, jeez. Just over the first weekend. What's the? Does it have a rating right now, like a like a critical rating or like a or like an IMDb rating? Yeah, it does. What's it rated at? I'm always interested with the IMDb ratings because because I well, hate I know them. they're so well. Also, they're so like <laughs> like we apparently one of the guys. So our our movie is based on a Twitter conversation, and one of the yeah. guys came out and said some politically charged stuff, and then like a bunch of people went and dinged our rating. So like nice. we were at like high sevens. Yeah, like low eights and then Brett texted me and I already rated it but like Brett texted me he's like hey like if you haven't go go rate it because like we just got like kind of not not super hardcore mobbed but like we went from like like low eights high sevens down to like 6.5 
in like yeah. a couple hours. Wow. So to be fair, it does also happen a lot with um. So like when films come out, it's like because there's all these fucking spins, you know. If a movie's out, it's got a hundred percent on whatever, yeah, yeah, and it's got and like nine out of ten on. It's like yeah, because it's fucking opening night, and you get to control that stuff a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then it gets out of your control, and the real thing sort of over the months and weeks sort of appears. I've noticed I've been keeping a tab on a lot of the Fantastic Fest films because once you have a film in, you want to compare and contrast. You know, oh, I'm interested in how yeah, people yeah. rating that, yeah. how it went, and it's so stupid. But yeah, a lot of them start high and then they do sort of start to even out, you know, a little bit more and then they suddenly like drop. You guys obviously had a very particular reason for that anyway. Um, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had it with our one. Like we started off at eight and then it went down to like 7.6 and was hung there for ages. And then it suddenly dropped into like the late sixes. And now it's just gone back into the seven. And I'm just like, okay, this is going like, to. Yeah, I, I kind of, at least ride. for the movies I work on, if I'm a, if I'm a, like most of those hang out in like the 30 to 40% range, if 40 being the highs. So like. So, like, I call anything above, like, a five a win. To be honest, yeah, <laughs> with the genre it. films, if it is yeah. above a five, and particularly if you're above a six, you've got a good film. Like, yeah, you, for that sure. Means it's good. a solid film. It really does. I agree. Um, Halloween at the moment is getting, I think it was a 7.8 the last time I looked at it. It's a 7.6 right now. Hmm. All right. Yeah. David Gordon Green, do you know the next film he's directing? He's doing another remake. I don't know. Halloween. Two. Halloween two. <laughs> well, he's got a trilogy in mind, so that will probably be happening. Day of the Dead. He's shooting a remake of Friday Night Lights, which was a film from 2004, turned into a TV yeah. show, now turned back into a film, so presumably another TV show is going to come after that. Yeah, like, that's interesting. <sighs> so why? It seems like a weird... It's I don't really know. weird. It seems like also... It's, I, I don't know. I feel like people are no longer... I mean, I guess it's a good thing, like, just randomly people direct things completely out of genre and not necessarily that's a negative thing but like i think for a director it's a great thing it's for a composer it's a great thing too because hopefully like you work with a director who then all of a sudden directs something else and then you can like well, kind fair, of play in different was sandboxes. A strange genre for him like he's you know he's more of a but that's what i'm saying i'm saying that yeah. like he like he did horror which was not what he's known for anyway mm-hmm. and then now he's going back out of horror well, it's just, I just that's Friday I mean. Night Lights is one of those things where it's like the movie was excellent the TV show I didn't see but I know people loved so I feel there's not much else to say with that it's not yeah. like it's one of those films where it's like oh it's really old or it, it was never done well it's like no it's very yeah. recent <laughs> and everybody <laughs> loved it yeah. so let's remake uh, sometimes, it just a, well, exa- I mean some of these people just want to update for audience I mean uh, 2000s are not really that old but no. But like sometimes you just want to remake to to bring fresh eyes to the IP, I guess, and like you know, give people a reason to watch it on the big screen again, I guess. I don't I know. I guess. I guess I don't know, man. I mean, world, when I saw that, I was like, what the fuck is happening? I don't know. <laughs> <sighs> so Technology give up on everything in life. <laughs> All right, guys. Is there anything else in particular that you want to say? I do want to know where people then can see it from now on. Are there any other festivals you want to plug that's going to be in, or any other avenues that you're going? Do you know when it's going? When it's actually getting, you know, a proper, like a proper video, digital, digital, or digital. Or iTunes, or I don't know that. I know that the last I had heard, it's in a bunch of festivals. I I don't know. It's it played at Telluride. It played at Toronto, uh, after, Toronto dark, after Dark this past weekend. weekend, and then I think it is going to be at Ithaca. I think. Oh, but cool. like, there's a whole list of things. There's a whole list of them that are around. I don't know for sure. I know that it's playing again on Sci-Fi a few more times uh, before the before the 31st, and then I know that uh, it's on demand. And then I also think that Screen Media is trying to set up some like special midnight showings of it, like the I guess like kind of the Fathom event kind of stuff. Oh. I think I had heard that. I don't know if that's I don't know they I don't know if they scheduled anything yet. 
It's in the talks. Yeah, exactly. As for actual release stuff, I don't know. I, like actual, not actual release, but actual like digital download or any kind of DVD or Blu-ray release. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, if people are around, if you're up in Ithaca, I'm not sure if you might be the killer's plane, but if it is, they should come see it there. I will be there as well with my film Starfish, so come say hello. I think it's the last festival I'm going to be supporting for a bit before I have to go back home <laughs> and try and actually work on another film. <laughs> Stop milking start, this cow. Yeah, start writing the laurels, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just trying to get money for another film, man. That's the main reason I'm going. <laughs> just to try and meet. I hate networking so much, but it's like yeah every single time we go out to any of the after parties the cool thing with brooklyn is every night they had a separate official after party yeah and every time you go to anything other than one time where i just went because i was by myself here i don't have an entourage and stood in a bar for about 10 15 minutes awkwardly no one wanted to talk to me i have no capacity to just walk up to strangers and talk <laughs> to them so i just left <laughs> and nice, was, nice. but every other time something good always comes out of it you meet good people like yourselves or you you know meet someone who's interested in your movie in some way and might help you in the future so trying to get better at that stuff which is why i'm kind of crawling around do it the film yeah if you listen to us thank you so much for listening we appreciate it please do head on over to weirdgeeks.com again please do go to social medias and please seriously take those 30 fucking seconds to just rate and subscribe you can just subscribe us really low we don't care we just said just part of the conversation i do have one more thing real quick i'm going to be releasing a soundtrack as soon as i get a label to release it so i finished mixing it and now and it has the harlow single on it the the uh, like soundtrack single on it as well oh nice as soon as i get i'm it's gone out to labels so we'll see okay. hopefully fingers crossed well if you let me know then i'll yeah i'll update i'll listen to this for when when That'd and where great. they can get that cool yeah while you're on weirdgeeks.com hit the little black little label thing that's going to take you out to be a tessellate there are a publisher or a production company run out of london la and tokyo we're making feature films short films web things which we're not really doing but we used to do we do some twitch stuff and we're going to be doing interactive video games in the future and we do some soundtracky stuff as well stuff nice. things you know do the things yeah things important well, I'm thinking of that. You can follow me if you want personal stuff and you just want to bother me and tell me that you hate my movie. I'm Mr. Al White, M-R-A-L-W-H-I-T-E on all the social medias and also on the Xbox, which is where you're going to want to be because that's where I'm going to be playing some Red Dead uh, <laughs> in true. about four days time. Fallout 76 beta is about to hit tomorrow or today where you're listening to this probably. Fucking hell, man. So many games right now. It's insane. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah, what about you guys? Where can people interact with you and bother you socially? My website is andrewmorgansmith.com. Also, I have, I think most of my handles is A Music S on like Twitter. I think that's what it is. And then uh, I just so rarely plug any kind of social media that I'm trying to remember all my stuff. But yeah, so I that's usually where you can find me hanging out at. I'm on the gram <laughs> at, uh, at ST file it's, uh, with the silent P. F-E-I-L and Twitter with another silent P uh, filmographer so it's P-F-I-L-M-O-G-R-A-P-H-E-R not really in, like <laughs> not designed for people necessarily to find I guess <laughs> <laughs> perfect <laughs> excellent alright guys thank you so much for chatting with me I've genuinely like yeah I feel two hours is probably our cap but like yeah. I could easily talk about this stuff oh, yeah. for a long time. So hopefully we can sure. meet up sometime and get some food and just chat in person. Thanks yeah, for man. having me, for man. For sure. I really, really enjoyed it. Same here, man. 
All right, we will be back probably in about a week, I think. We've got another regular podcast coming. But yeah, every single Friday, please do tune in to Halloween. We're about to hit Halloween 2018 this Friday. And then we've got the wrap up the next week where we're going to go through the entire series. And then after that, we're going to be starting our new series, which is Predator. And I'm going to be doing that with Alexander Chard. And uh, yeah, you weren't the only person, the only composer of Fantastic Fest to tell me Predator is the one that directors always come to <laughs> yeah yeah man and there's a reason for that that is one of the most bombastic awesome soundtracks of all time for sure yeah alex Unchard, katie watson are joining me for that retrospective series we'll be going through all the predator films including the alien versus predator movies and ending with shane black's new the predator until then we are out